say what you will about Sea Destiny, the music was still on point uh, for throughout that show. The music, I listen to the music even today, and just it, I love it, but it still makes me think of disappointment because it, you have a memory tied to it, and the yeah. memory is something that makes you mad, even though the song is good. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel that way about a lot of things where it's like, man, this is a good song. It's like, oh god, if that was when this show was, oh man. everyone, welcome to Zonin Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, joining me today is notable West Coast AnimeCon panelist and a guy with the eternal writing bean avatar on Twitter. It's Jarvis Gray. Uh, Jarvis, thanks for coming on. Hey, Jesse. Glad to be back. And uh, for the first time, we're joined by uh, Daryl Surratt. He's the co-host of the Anime World Order podcast and contributor to uh, Otaku USA magazine. And if you haven't checked out his work in either of those areas, you definitely you definitely should. Uh, Daryl, big thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you can also see some of my writings on the Anime News Network lately. So this episode is going to be the latest in my series of retrospectives of anime shows that have had a unique cultural impact in Canada. Uh, in other words, shows that have resonated with audiences here in a specific way uh, that they didn't in other countries. And when I say that, I mean they've resonated with people here in a way that they have not in the U.S. Because let's just be honest, this is always in comparison to the U.S. The last series I focused on for one of these was Gundam Wing, and this time we'll be talking about uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Seed. Uh, which is one of the most prominent examples of a series that saw fairly significant mainstream success in Canada, but much less so in the United States. Some might even say that, at least if you're focusing on uh, the show's run on television, it might even be called a bit of a failure. And of course, as with most of these things, it really came down to the time and place that it aired on television in, in the respective countries. Um, so what is Gundam Seed? Gundam Seed, to this day, remains a bit of a controversial series. And it uh, and it does tend to get both its its supporters and haters fired up. Mobile Suit Gundam Seed uh, debuted in Japan in 2002, uh, and it is one of the alternate universe series, which is uh, set in the cosmic era. I, I think maybe like the simpler way to describe what Gundam Seed effectively is is a modernized retelling of the original Mobile Suit Gundam mm -hmm. series, only with incorporation of the lessons that they learned from past successes such as Gundam Wing. That show came out in the 90s, but when it came out in the United States and Canada in 2000 or thereabouts, that was a huge explosion in popularity, a resurrection of that sort of format. So they said, well, let's take that idea and sort of do it again and sort of get like the, the kinks worked out, right? Because mm. as you mentioned so succinctly in your previous Gundam Wing podcast, the plot line of Gundam Wing little hard to follow a whole bunch of factions popping up a whole bunch of betrayals and people shifting allegiances because it carried over the story of like multiple gundam shows gundam zeta gundam double zeta gundam shah's counterattack so gundam seed is let's take just the original gundam put it in like a more modernized aesthetic and context and go from there but we need to make sure we sell those model kits and so We've got five pilots that are all heroes after a sort. And so that's what worked in Gundam uh, Wing as it arose from G Gundam. And so now we're doing it again 
in Gundam Seed. And so that's basically everything has some sort of analog or counterpart to that original Gundam show, right? Because, oh, they call the space colonies plants now. Oh, they call the Xeon Zaft now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when they launched Gundam Seed, the Gundam franchise had kind of been stagnant for a few years. There was turn A in 1999, which was like the 20th anniversary series, because they were kind of obligated to put out a 20th anniversary series. But the the previous attempts at, at, at alternate universes had kind of come to a, a stall with Gundam X. I, I don't think there was really anything wrong with Gundam X. I think people were just kind of burnt out on Gundam at that point. They were... I think it wasn't different enough. I think, like, Gundam X was a show that, like, still used terminology like new type and all that kind of stuff. And people yeah. said, yeah, this is the same old thing we've seen before and so with Gundam Seed in you know the early 2000s like bringing back Gundam for a new generation and we're going to make this thing um, embody all the things that are trendy and cool right now in the in the 2000s and uh, one other point you brought up was the sort of divisiveness of this series right mm-hmm. and I think uh, even though we're probably I don't know if we're going to talk about it but I think a lot of it has to do with the sequel series that came afterwards, because this was so popular that it um, spawned a direct sequel uh, television series, which um, hadn't been done. Still the all the only alternate universe series that has spawned a like, true full-fledged sequel. Right. And so yeah. that series, while popular in Japan, was um, very contentious here, uh, elsewhere, let's say. And uh, to the extent of which it retroactively recolors people's thoughts of the original series. And so whenever people talk about like, oh, a bad sequel doesn't invalidate the original, the original is still right here in my shelf, or a bad adaptation, etc., I like to say, well, are you sure about that? Because <laughs> look at what happened to Gundam Seed and how it's perceived now in 2018 compared to 2002 and why that is. We'll get into it. Yeah, there's a strong tendency for Seed and Seed Destiny to get lumped together. Uh, which is, I, I definitely think, is unfair. Would uh, would would either of you be or rather? Would you like to share just your own personal history with Gundam Seed, or any any background you have with the franchise, or your engagement with it? Sure, I'll start. So I was in my early twenties when Gundam Seed first started airing in Japan. This was during a time that preceded the modern way we watch anime. Now there wasn't really a whole bunch of anime on television. There were no simulcasts. There was no streaming. Um, and so what people would do is they would uh, pirate the you know recordings and digitally fan sub it, try to do it as quickly as, as possible, and then release it online through a BitTorrent or you know various other file sharing protocols then. Gundam Seed was hugely popular among this crowd of people to the point where – when it ended, the finale of Gundam Seed, whether you'd seen Gundam or not, was a meme. Like, it was, like, everyone knew it. I hadn't even watched Gundam Seed as it was airing because I was unsure whether it would be good. And I would say, all right, I'm going to wait for the series to conclude. Uh, then when they announced the sequel series, I said, okay, well, let me get caught up because I saw this huge mania. And the mania did not subside. People were still really positive on it. And the I so I started watching it with the only knowledge I had of the series being this uh, ending is going to occur this this character is going to die in this way which is not a good way to <laughs> to watch the show but again it was an inescapable meme at the time 
uh, before everyone was using the the word meme that way. So I watched it. I was I was impressed. It followed the traditional to that point sunrise mecha fifty episode series formula, and so I went in having watched several Gundam series previously and several Sunrise shows previously, knowing these first 13 episodes are just set up, and then from episode 13 on is when the real story starts. Sure enough, that's what happens in Gundam Seed. And I thought the initial episodes were actually not that great. I understood what they were doing. It just wasn't particularly interesting or compelling. But sure enough, like clockwork, episode 13 hits, and then things start getting interesting. And I, having had knowledge of the original Gundam show, said, ah, this is a neat way to retell this, to have it be a little more uh, sensible and coherent. Uh, I thought that it ended very well. And so then I was, like, very excited for Seed Destiny, which basically was the opposite of Gundam Seed, in which the first set of episodes were good, and then the rest of it were uh, not so much. It's, it still blows me away. Just I, I did go back and watch the first few episodes of Destiny, just how confident those first like seven or so episodes are. Right. You, it's got serious promise. Like, okay, wow, this is where we're going on this one. They're, they're going to do this, and then this will happen, and it'll be kind of like the Zeta Gundam to Gundam Seed's original first Gundam-like update. That did not quite happen not quite well i mean maybe maybe it depends on how you look at zeta gundam but (laughs) well nowadays the perception of zeta gundam has certainly shifted from back in the day largely by virtue of people being able to see the show uh it was sort of this mythical thing that people were holding up like you gotta see zeta gundam or you know what have you i think as far as gundam seed goes um it aired in the united states eventually on television Um, on the Cartoon Network, which is a cable channel. You have to pay extra. Now, I'm not a Canadian. Uh, Just clue me in. Is YTV a network television channel that everybody gets, or do you have to actually pay for a cable package to get YTV? So YTV is a cable station, and it is included in most basic cable, uh, cable packages. An important thing to keep in mind, though, is that I think statistically, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, more people in Canada subscribe to cable than rely on like an over-the-air antenna to get television. And a big reason that is just the general density of the country. So cable is seen as a little more of an essential thing in, in a lot of areas of the country than it is in the U.S., whereas in the U.S. you can set up an antenna almost anywhere and you'll 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 get the basics, all the basic network, the stuff that most people watch. So I would say that YTV compared to Cartoon Network is a little more culturally enshrined uh, than, than that station is, especially because they have content from Cartoon Network, from Nickelodeon, from whatever the other ones are. It's all, it's all just kind of conglomerated into that one that one entity and you know things are way more dispersed now but like back at back at that late 90s early 2000s period that was there was a real centrality to ytv so anything that aired on there was going to be you know fairly substantial in terms of uh, in terms of exposure one of the other areas in which animation uh, japanese animation fandom differed then versus now mm-hmm. is that there would be like waves of fandom for it you'd have the group of people who were watching these digital fan subs online Mm -hmm. uh that would be one initial set then the show would be licensed and released on dvd over a period of time because they would be released one disc at a time four Mm -hmm. or five episodes you're talking a 50 episode show 10 dv individual discs that you'd have to pay like 25 30 dollars for a certain subset of people would purchase those 
then finally, if you are fortunate, your show would be picked up and aired on a television station, which would then keep a show alive for a, a couple of years, you know, for this whole process to play out. Now, that method, as you can tell, for longer shows is asking a lot of people to buy a show of five episodes at a time. Are you going to like it? Are you not? Well, that is uh, dependent on a few things. In this case, I think Gundam Seed also had an advantage in Canada that it did not have in the United States with regards to when it got on television. Was it aired every weekday or was it aired one episode a week? It was still one episode a week, but the the, the big difference, though, was is that the editing uh, um, the editing was also better in in Canada. It was it was still edited, but it wasn't the edits weren't as intrusive, right? Because as, as this was something that America had to contend with that the edits made for television to Gundam Seed were fairly significant. Yeah, and once the word got out of things like oh they're having to hastily paint over the firearms that the characters are holding to make them like uh, ray guns instead, stuff like that. People were like, there was, oh. there was one episode where they actually painted lasers coming out of the guns as they fired them at each other. Correct. It wasn't adequate to just change the soundtrack or uh, change the sound effect. Right. They, like, they actually painted lasers in, which is a, to me is an unfathomable fathomable expense, but they, they right. had the resources well, to do in it. In the early 2000s, especially for getting things onto television, one way that they would attempt to do that would be things like digitally paint on bikinis to cover up nudity, or in, in Gundam Seed's case, the most infamous one was, yeah, like you said, making the guns fire laser beams instead of bullets, and you know things like that turn anime fans away. They They want the real deal, right? And part of what made Gundam Wing so popular in the first place was that it actually aired in a less cut um, broadcast version. Like you'd see a version on uh, 5.30 or 5 p.m. in the afternoons, and then at midnight they would air a less edited version of it. Yeah. Gundam C didn't have that uh, advantage this time around, unfortunately. And I, I'm not sure if it would have helped, but – um, it certainly was not a positive thing here. Um, there's also an issue with the toys that kind of made Gundam Seed like uh, anathema in the United States. Do you know this story? Could you hold that thought for just a second, Daryl? All right, uh, I'll, I'll come you, back to it. I, I just want to get, get to Jarvis. Uh, Jarvis, can you just go over your personal history with, uh, with Gundam Seed? Okay, well, mine is kind of similar to Daryl's in that I didn't have a lot of access to anime, and my internet connection at the time was garbage. Still kind of is. Um, all I had access to was dial-up. And so having Gundam Seed air on YTV when it did was fortuitous timing because I was just getting into anime around that time. And I had this vague notion that Gundam existed, but I had missed the first wave of uh, Gundam Wing because I didn't have uh, satellite TV at the time. I was still on um, like over-the-air antenna. We only had like Channel 6, I think, was the only thing that came in. And so I got into Seed right around the episode where they make Planet Fall. So I guess the end of the first uh, space arc. Roughly and... after that 13-episode mark where I said things yeah. start to pick up. Yep, yep. 
And so you after, skipped all the stuff where it's like, ah, this is so so. Yeah, I think I got in right around the good part. I, and, I think a lot of people have a, had a similar experience just because it was, uh, it came on before Inuyasha, which was the you know the big series on on YTV. So I, I think it took some people around about that time to uh, to find it, which may have helped it honestly. Yeah, and I can't even remember what initially got me to start watching it. I might have. I don't even think I was watching all that much TV around that time, but I just sort of picked it up and couldn't put it down. It literally became appointment television for me after that. I would plan my workday around it. I tell my boss, now I'm going to be staying up late to watch this show. <laughs> don't book any jobs for me at uh, su- Saturday morning because I'm going to be emotionally wiped out by then. I would even like go out and buy like special snacks. Okay, I got my special uh, drink. I got my chips here. All right, let's do this. And yeah, after that, um, I basically went on a Gundam tear. If Bandai's mission was to get people into the Gundam franchise through Seed, then it absolutely worked because I immediately went, looked at a bunch of wikis, and started downloading every... Gun, main Gundam series in chronological order started with uh, you know Gundam 0079 and just kind of worked my way up from there uh, until I can now say I've seen every mainline Gundam series except for uh, Iron Blood Orphans and Age. Yeah, I I recall when Gundam Seed was airing, I heard a lot of people like self righteously saying, "Oh, well, this Gundam Seed sucks. I'm going to go back and watch the original series, which are all." wonderful and superior in every way and it's like whatever loser you wouldn't have done that if you hadn't been exposed to gundam seed on tv so it worked yeah i i think uh but jarvis i think overall your your experience is pretty common um i i discovered the show through fan subs in high school i was i was urged to watch it by some of my friends i had a hard time getting into it at first because of course uh that first core or so uh is is a little is a little slow a little rough um, but by the I pushed myself to get through it, and it had completely won me over. Uh, by the end, there were multiple sequences that I just had to go back and watch over and over again. And just the the idea of this show, you know, being licensed, airing on television in in Canada, and being exposed to people across the country was just to me absolutely exhilarating because I loved it so much. And I was a you know seventeen year old loser with no sense of priority in life. Um, but so I, I just kind of lived and breathed the show for a few years after I saw it. Um, I, I would always, uh, on Friday nights, the, like the Shaw multicultural channel here in BC would, would run this, um, this Japan pop culture program where they would, they would all always show partial music videos. They would never actually show you the whole music video because this was some kind of, uh, some kind of promotional show that was just put out by record companies in Japan to, promote products to the extent that Japanese uh, music companies are usually willing to promote them, which is as little as possible. Um, and they would always run like the music videos for the the songs that were running in Gundam Seed, which are, you know, very, very important to the show's popularity. Um, or a, a big part of why the show is entrenched in, in popular culture in Japan as well. Um, so, you know, I was just, again, just kind of living and breathing that every week. And when it, uh, when it showed up on TV, I was just, so excited and overjoyed um and i i, I too ravenously awaited uh, gundam Seed destiny uh when it was being fan subbed and w- and was was definitely disappointed in uh in where that eventually wound up going um one other thing about the fan subs is that there was a 
it took a little while for the show to actually get licensed by Bandai. Uh, they were a little slower on that than I think the companies would be with a series like that, a series like this these days. And there were never official romanizations for the names. And I, I, I just remember that when the fan subs are out, people came up with the craziest interpretations of what the characters' names were supposed to be. Um, for for years, I think Athrin was Asuran to uh, to many people, and uh, this this spelling was like viciously defended for for many years. Of course, now fifteen sixteen years later, nobody nobody really cares anymore. But you know, it's just kind of funny how how long those those fan sub interpretations stuck around. Yeah, that that kind of characterized the era where I got into to, to Gundam Seed. As I mentioned, it took a little while. There was it took a little while for Bandai to sort of get their get their shit together and get Gundam Seed out. And obviously, they were aiming for it to be a big success in the U.S. And it it was uh, we already talked a bit about how it didn't work out in on television. Uh, and Daryl, I uh, you were you were going to go into the merchandise aspect of that. Yeah. So basically. Um... The history of Gundam in the, in the United States is the history of the Japanese making a lot of really ill-advised decisions and screwing up, like killing their own golden goose because they know what an anime fan want uh, to steal their <laughs> famous um, PowerPoint presentation. So, Thank um, you, Bandai Visual USA. Right. So what I'm about to say is going to be slightly inaccurate because – uh, I'm going solely off of my memory, and this is talking about 20 years ago almost. So diehard Gundam fans will probably jump in and say I got like a little detail wrong here and there or a glaring detail wrong here and there. Uh, by all means, point it out in the comments. But once Gundam Wing came out and was an unexpected big success, like ushering in a huge new wave of fans, you could argue it's the, the Toonami generation was born – on uh, on Gundam Wing and and then rerun to Dragon Ball and and the like, Bandai said, okay, well, what do we do next? Uh, so the next one they went to uh, was G Gundam, which was successful. You know, contrary to what you might um, hear from certain people, uh, obviously that was the first alternate universe Gundam series, which was a big success on the toy market, such that the creation of Gundam Wing wouldn't have come about were G not successful. The only uh, directive that the producers were given were, hey, you saw G Gundam had five hero pilots? We want five hero pilots for Gundam Wing. Mm -hmm. um, so in the wake of G Gundam, it was popular enough to rerun, though not as big as Gundam Wing, uh, as far as the fan base, because it didn't have the uh, pretty boy contingent element of it. The no-brainer choice was going to be release Gundam Seed because the time frame, right? And mm -hmm. in fact, uh, I believe Gundam Seed uh, model kits or toys or whatever were shipped out to the Walmarts and Toys R Uses and things of the world back then. However, at C basically the last minute, uh, the powers that be at Bandai said, you know what? We're not going to show Gundam Seed. We are going to show the original Mobile Suit Gundam series from the 1970s instead uh, of sending a Gundam Seed. Uh, that's part of why it took that time frame you were talking about for the release. Um, that is a contributing factor to that. And so what Bandai and their infinite wisdom said, you know, we're the big dogs in Japan. We do this all the time. So they sent out a directive to, you know, all your big chain toy stores like Walmart and Toys R Us and Target and what have you and said, 
pull all that seed merchandise we sent you, send it back, and we'll uh, we'll replace it with original Gundam stuff or you know UC Gundam stuff. And it don't work that way here, folks. Mm-hmm. The WalMarts and Toys R Us of the world said, you know what, you guys are too much hassle to deal with, and we're not stocking your products anymore. And so all that stuff vanished. There was a period, a short period, where they were trying to push Gundam models. Everyone remembers that one commercial that they would play, and you could go into the toy stores and find these kits with kind of marked up prices. They weren't really the best, uh, you know, as far as the exchange rate goes. But they were accessible and then all of that vanished and part of it is indirectly due to Gundam Seed but really it's due to Bandai saying oh no 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 we need to establish the the reason that Gundam is so big in Japan is that you know it's been going on for a while we need to lay down the foundation and show you know kids who are used to the slick endless wall style action they're going to go and watch the original first Gundam now And, and that didn't work out so well and in fact when the September 11th, 2001 attacks happened, the Cartoon Network sort of used that as their excuse to ditch the first Mobile Suit Gundam from the lineup because yeah. it wasn't doing so well. They kind of attribute it to like, oh, you know, because of the terrorist attacks and whatever. It's like that was kind of a smokescreen. That was really because they just wanted it to be done with this thing, right? It, it and, totally was. I think, that, I think they wound up burning the episode, the last seven or eight episodes off it. Like on a New Year's event or something. Yeah, too. they either were quickly dumped in a marathon to fulfill a contractual requirement or not shown at all. I don't remember if it was a po- possibly a combination of both where they had the marathon and they still didn't show the last two or three episodes. I don't remember exactly. But that was basically the point in which Gundam Mania dropped in the United States and was many, many years before it gradually started to recover. But obviously Gundam Wing was that, you know, lightning in a bottle. They were trying to recapture it. They got a little greedy. Um, though Gundam Seed, you know, it, it was still popular, at least among that fan sub audience. It just did not really get the chance among the, that second and third wave of people. Uh, yeah. As far as like a TV, you know, people and, and that sort of thing, because even when it aired on television here in that edited form, it was Saturday night, kind of latish at night, whereas, you know, Gundam Wing, like I said, you know, weekday afternoons uh, was Gundam Wing. And, and Jarvis was saying, you know, don't don't schedule me for Saturday morning because I got my Friday night planned because uh, I got to watch Gundam see it on YTV. And so that yeah. was basically. Uh, Bandai Entertainment or Bandai Japan, you know, just not understanding what they had and uh, basically screwing things over. And so it was many, many, many years uh, before Gundam started to recover uh, in the United States. But, yeah, we did get in the meantime, like, oh, yeah, we're going to put 080 and 0083 and, you know, all the uh, 8MS team, which was also reasonably well received and stuff like that on uh Cartoon Network. I think yeah. there's another issue we'll talk about that um, kind of did some of those things in, and that had to do with the uh, the English dubbing. Uh, but that's another topic. Um, maybe we'll get to it later. Yeah, the the thing is that also Gundam Seed aired right when Toonami was moved from weekday afternoons to Saturday nights. Um, and it wasn't even just a matter of that being a less convenient time slot for people. That was also marked the point where the original people behind uh, the Toonami block, like Jason DeMarco, they had all moved on to Adult Swim. Uh, Toonami was being run by people who didn't give a shit about any of the content on it anymore. 
Uh, and that really showed just in the, the kind of presentation and the way the shows are being treated at that point. And, you know, combined with all the merchandising problems, one other thing was that uh, I recall toy stores were completely oversaturated with G Gundam toys. And not even the G Gundam toys people wanted. Yeah, it, they were just overloaded with, with those toys for years. That also seriously interfered with, with Seed being able to, to get any traction. And the funny thing is that we those G Gundam toys, we even got those in Canada, despite the fact that G Gundam never aired on TV here, um, which is something that still baffles me to this day. Uh, because, you know, Gundam Wing, when it aired on YTV, as, you know, as we discussed in the previous episode, I mean, it was successful. It did well. Um, but YTV just, they, they just, they didn't know really what to do with it. It wound up airing in an awkward late night time slot. Um, they sort of, uh, missed the boat on the, a lot of the, the hype going on with the series. By the time they actually got it on the air, they aired Endless Waltz first. Um, it was it was a big mess. It was popular. It got a fan base, but it wasn't enough to re, to really emulate that kind of phenomenon that took place in the U.S. when Gundam Wing aired. And it was that phenomenon that opened the door for Toonami to pick up shows like Tenchi Muyo and The Big O and Blue Submarine Number Six and all these shows that you is impossible to imagine airing on a uh, a weekday afternoon block before Gundam Wing. Um, or even airing on a weekday afternoon block today. It was a very unique time, to say the least. Yeah, because we didn't get any of those shows, and, you know, despite the fact that Gundam Wing did well, YTV was hesitant to pick up anything, even even G Gundam, despite the fact that the toys were everywhere. And there was about a three-year period where we weren't getting any of that Toonami stuff. And, you know, three years isn't that long when you look at the grand timeline of, of Looking back, but it, it doesn't seem like it's that long a time, but living three years is actually quite uh, a time differential yeah and another key thing is that one thing that contributed greatly to like why why it was such such an important thing that those shows were picking up steam on toonami at the time was because it was right at the height of the pokemon phenomenon and that was kind of subtly driving everything at the same time that was a an era you can't really get back um or the 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 pure frenzy that was going on at that time couldn't really be recaptured and now we're seeing shows that were airing on toonami at that time like yu yu Hakusho and big o and all of those things, they're really big nostalgia titles now for the anime companies. And they're they're capitalizing on that. But part of, you know, sort of the tone deafness that we're seeing with the way that these companies handle the Canadian market is that they don't really understand that those shows do not have the same nostalgia value in Canada because they did not air on TV at that time. So you're getting that, you're, there's that kind of dissonance. But that three-year era or so where there was nothing happening, um, I think that really greatly contributed to why Gundam Seed was able to succeed, because even though it was only airing once a week, and on Friday nights, which, you know, arguably aren't that much better than Saturday nights, it was still headlining the Bionics block, which was launched due to the success of Inuyasha the previous year. Um, it had a prominent time slot on that block. Uh, I think another advantage, and this was also discussed in the previous episode, is that we did not get the original Mobile Suit Gundam. And I think that airing the original Mobile Suit Gundam uh, on Toonami also sort of contributed to the fatigue that you'd experience with Gundam Seed because people, you, even though the series was cut short, a lot of people still saw Mobile Suit Gundam on Toonami. They saw it on weekdays. So the, for the first 13 or so episodes of Gundam Seed, in addition to all the other problems with the presentation it had on Toonami, you're kind of going through 
the same motions as that show you already saw. Yeah, but this time you're going through it one week at a time in a show that is already sort of not paced as well as the original 1979 Gundam series was. So that really worked against the show in Japan as well. Or, uh, sorry, in the United States as well. But that element was sort of missing in the uh, in the Canadian presentation. So it was a novel, those first set of episodes. Yeah. And, you know, as Jarvis mentioned, he, he didn't even see those first set of episodes. I think it, it took a while for people in Canada to discover it because Inuyasha was at 10 p.m., Gundam Seed was at 9.30 p.m. So... It people had to. It took a while for people to realize, hey, there's this other anime show airing right before, right before this, you know, huge giant phenomenon of a, of a of a successful property. I also remember that Witch Hunter Robin debuted at the same time as Gundam Seed did. This also greatly contributed to Witch Hunter Robin's success and popularity and status in Canada compared to the United States, because that was also seen as a bit of a failure when it aired in the U.S. as well. But I, I remember they released this, YTV released this ratings report when the Bionics block aired, and, like, Witch Hunter Robin was the number two show with a teen demographic, uh, which is interesting because it actually took, it had taken one of Inuyasha's previous time slots. So capitalizing on the the way it was scheduled or capitalized around that, that um, those original Inuyasha time slots, because they aired two episodes of that in a row, before Witch Hunter Robin and, and Gundam Seed aired. So that helped Witch Hunter Robin a lot, but it took a little longer for people to find Gundam Seed. But I think it was really, a, it was definitely more of a timing issue than anything that helped Gundam Seed. And as we talked a little bit before, when uh, when Bandai was sending the Masters to Canada and the U.S., uh, they sent two different versions. The U.S., because because at that time it still wasn't acceptable for Toonami to run anything with a TV PG rating. I recall that they made some kind of deal with Toonami that they could run the last two episodes with a TV PG because it's kind of impossible to edit those last two episodes down to the Y7, everything has to fire laser beams kind of level. But with uh, with YTV, they didn't have that kind of restriction, so they just sent them the uncut version. They said, okay, just each of you just do your own edits. Um, and, of course... Toonami had to edit it down to the Y7 level, which resulted in a lot of edits. Uh, YTV, um, you know, there was a big precedent because Endless Waltz had aired uncut previous years, so the expectations were high for YTV to air it uncut. They didn't air it uncut, they still made edits for violence, and it actually was the only show that aired on Bionics where they made edits for violence. It's, in that sense, it's kind of unfortunate that it was the, the guinea pig in that sense. But they, they still left a lot in. They got very inconsistent and experimental in the stuff they did leave in later on. And then that just got, sort of, sort of set the, uh, the template for, for later shows that way. Um, but yeah, all these things contributed to Gundam Seed just having this higher profile on Canadian TV than it did in the U.S. And, uh, even the finale when it aired was sort of an event. They were announcing it on, like, the kids' blocks on, on the show, like The Zone. And it was a really big deal. In the States, what happened was when it hit the halfway point, you know, the point when Gundam Seed actually gets really good, uh, it was actually shoved away to a, I think it was a 1.30 a.m. Friday night slot. Yeah, aka the, uh, the time slot where they would, like, be like, okay, we, just need to get rid of this thing. I remember in that time, like I was staying up to like one thirty or two or whatever to get like those final episodes of Cyborg Zero Zero Nine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on and they'd always be like right after or right before, like you know, I don't know, Dot Hack, Legend of the Twilight, you know, whatever the hell. Yeah, that was that was one of the biggest titles that aired in that time slot for for Cartoon Network at that time. But and, and despite the fact that it got pushed to a later time slot, you know, they had already edited it to a Y seven level. And because that time was technically Cartoon Network and not 
Adult Swim, they still had, by those current standards at that time, they still had to run it at the y, with the Y7 edits. They couldn't even switch to a less edited version, which is just kind of kind of insulting for something that's airing at 1.30 in the morning. And it just contributed to a lot of uh, of negative sentiment towards towards Seed and its presentation and launch. And, you know, overall in the States, it was, you know, it's still well regarded, but like Daryl said, it was more of a fan-sub phenomenon than it was a big mainstream TV kind of hit. So that, that, that obviously you know, didn't make Bandai or Sunrise very happy. Um, it's, But it saw the kind of success that uh, they wanted in Canada, but it doesn't really matter. They don't really care about that smaller audience as much as, as having it be a big hit in the in the U.S. So so Seed has kind of had a, maintains that precarious status because of that to this day. And it also eventually led to YTV picking up Gundam Seed Destiny as well. Uh, obviously it didn't do as well. Um, it got bumped to the back of the block partway through. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure that in the United States, you can correct me if I'm wrong since you're the one with the notes, but mm-hmm. I want to say that Seed Destiny didn't air, period. It did not. It, yeah. it never aired anywhere in the U.S. at all. Well, at the very least, then, we have that to be thankful for, <laughs> that there is not a potential, some, like, the, the amount of someone will defend this crew who's, emerge from you know onto the rocks and shadows of the internet to defend something is drastically fewer for Gundam Seed Destiny because it did not air on television. It's not somebody's childhood uh, or as, as many people's childhood that you're you're defiling by saying that show is bad. Therefore, you know uh, we can at least be grateful uh, that that is the case. Uh, you know, I've had people tell me when I've done panels at conventions that people in the U.S. tell me that they had friends in Canada send them recordings of Gundam Seed Destiny, which kind of blows my mind because this was like 2007, and who would even be making recordings that you could send to somebody at that point? So, you know, there was there there were some people, I guess, but the, the, those numbers were few, and you could very well argue that, you know, I, I still think it's cool that, that uh, we got a show on this block that, at least one show that didn't air in the U.S., but yeah, Sea Destiny is, uh, you know, so the, the Canadian exclusive, and so you've got s- some contingent of people who are hardcore enough and sticking with it throughout the end, you know, watching that uh, dub to send to people in the United States, because I guess that must have been the demand for people who uh, didn't want to buy the DVDs. I think I think uh, the dub episodes were debuting on YTV before the DVDs got released for that one. So that, I mean, it might have been it. Maybe people just wanted to get their that hands That sounds likely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the the situation we've seen, at least in the early 2000s. There's obviously been new developments with Gundam Seed lately. We'll, we'll get to that a little later. Um, so I just wanted to kind of get into the, sh- the show itself. So it was directed by uh, Mitsuo Fukuda and Chiaki Morisawa, or the late Chiaki Morisawa, uh, the husband and wife team. Uh, Morisawa actually died um, in 2016, and she had a, quite a long history of illness um, that apparently dated back even to the production of Gundam Seed uh, Destiny. Um, I know there was some speculation even back then that... Yeah, that maybe the writing was affected by the fact that she, uh, you know, was not of uh, sound health. Yeah, she she apparently wasn't able to make her deadlines, and, you know, there just wasn't a, the, the full scenario wasn't... They weren't able to plan out the full scenario. Things yeah, I can believe that, the, yeah. because one of the earliest episodes of my own podcast was me being very upset about Gundam Seed Destiny and its ending, and the fact that you could tell because of the way that the series is structured and that they change the opening credit sequence every, you know, 13 episodes or so like clockwork. 
yeah. that they knew at some point before they started, and this is uncommon for Gundam shows, of what the plan was for from A to B to C yeah. to D. And the thing is, is that the Come See Destiny, the opening would change and they would have developments in the opening of things that hadn't yet happened in the show that were supposed to have happened already, such it's basically given away like a major plot point because mm-hmm. the opening has already changed before the show got to it. So that's if the show just has to quickly and hurriedly be like, oh, okay, well, well, this happens now because we have to quickly catch up. And so the build was and the payoffs were unsatisfying as a result. And so I think perhaps the uh, the illness of Chiaki Morisawa, you know, may have factored into that. But, um, you know, Mitsuo Fukuda, I always thought that he was, um, you know, kind of an underrated director. But at the same time, you know, looking back, you know, his track record now of being like the Gundam Z Destiny guy and now the uh, Cross Anja guy. <laughs> yeah, and he didn't even he he didn't even direct that series, but it's still it's still considered like it feels like it's his show, right? Yeah, yeah. And what was uh, GPX Cyber Formula was the OVA that he had worked on before Gundam Seed, and I think that was his most notable credit before they had. Well, he, he had Gundam. another show that I knew of him for before Gundam Seed, and it was this really underrated show called Gear Fighter Dendo, mm, which yeah. I think maybe people know about um, because of the Super Robot Wars video games. But I uh, always thought that show was was quite well animated and, you know, had uh, some pretty neat ideas. It's basically about, like, uh, these little kids who went to pilot a very uh, toy-looking style giant robot, you know, all the better to make merchandise out of, um, you know, in tandem. It was basically powered by friendship, for lack of a better uh, way of describing it. Um, but, no, like, that was, like, a, a really solid action show. And so I th- thought that okay well this guy's actually got some 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 chops you know to to do some action scenes and things like that certainly um by see destiny i had given him his own nickname to say like oh if yoshiki tomino is kill them all tomino well mitsuo fukuda is recap them all fukuda because my <laughs> god were they stalling with like the recycling of things you just saw and you know you know looking back now we know okay maybe it's because of uh, Chiaki Morisawa's, you know, I- impairments uh, at the time. Though, you know, you'd think that with a show with this many writers and, you know, with this big a, a staff that uh, people would have, um, you know, like that wouldn't really happen in a, uh, you know, normal production, I would think. But mysteriously enough, Japan really likes Sea Destiny. Uh, I can't for the life of me explain why. I can't explain why, but, you know, it's not an answer that people would be satisfied with. If you pay attention to the new type character rankings, this was a popular subject uh, when Gundam Seed was airing, and especially when Gundam Seed Destiny. When you say new type, you mean new type magazine, because we are talking about Gundam. Yeah, Yeah. there there are new types in Gundam Seed, but they're not really new types. Um, Yeah, there was a new type magazine would always runs these character rankings in Japan. I have no idea what the actual basis for any of these rankings are, but they seem to somehow give a an indication of. what characters are popular. And to this day, whenever Gundam Seed kind of is somehow relevant, or you hit, they hit an anniversary, or, I mean, I guess the characters appear in some kind of game or something, or there's some kind of talk about Gundam Seed or the characters are somehow relevant to the, the cultural otaku discussion, like Kira and Atherin and Lacus, these characters all seem to shoot to the top of the new type character rankings. There is some kind of bizarre bias that 
a large portion of Japanese fandom seems to have towards them. For, there was something about these characters that resonated with with um, with people in Japan. I still kind of have no idea what it is. Well, I think I can shed some light on what it might be. I think a, a big part of the success of why people were so enamored with Gundam Wing was not because of the characterization or the plotting of the story, but it, the aesthetic. It looked cool. Yeah. The the robots looked neat. The the boys were hot. The the ladies, you know, were were attractive and so on. And so when you get to Gundam Seed, uh, basically everybody is is very uh, attractive. Let's say you know in a, like a draw some dirty comics kind of way of these characters. Uh, and so even though people continually make fun of the character designer for Gundam Seed, Hisashi Hirai, who was you know. Sort of like the face of the 2000s, right? The one face of the 2000s, because that was the joke about Hisashi Hirai, is that all the characters you draw would have the exact same face. But um, Kira and Lachis and, you know, Atherin and Isaac and, you know, Nicole and all these uh, characters like that, you know, they they were, um, you know, people for whom you'd say, like, oh, wow, that, that person's pretty hot. Plus, the uh, robot designs, you know, Kunio Okawara and, um, you know, whomever they got, they basically said, all right, uh, backpacks for everybody, uh, big giant fins. You know, that was the sort of uh, order of the day for the Gundam Seed aesthetic. Um, and those model kits were very uh, well-received. In fact, um, I just this past weekend saw that they have a master grade for the Buster Gundam, which is one of the um, Gundam uh, suits in Gundam Seed. And this is, you know, decades after the fact. And uh, in the case of Buster Gundam, and uh, this may dovetail into some discussions of the plot lines, but um, the core premise of Gundam Seed basically involved, you know, your main character, Kira Yamato, and he has one Gundam that's, you know, called the, the you know, the Strike Gundam. It's and called then, the Strike. They never actually say they, Gundam. That's right. The they show. don't actually say Gundam in yeah. the show. You only see it displayed uh, on the heads-up display. It's an acronym. And what that acronym... Uh, abbreviates to differs over time as the further along you go because remember there's the special MacGuffin technology that cancels out nuclear power until there's the MacGuffin canceling MacGuffin canceller that cancels out the ability to cancel nuclear power so you eventually get nuclear power again that's yeah. uh, the logic that Gundam Seed is operating under so there are four other Gundam suits and so one of them one of the uh, bad guy suits was uh, the Buster Gundam and you know, several episodes in the show, the uh, bean counters at Bandai, they, they looked at the numbers and said, you know what? Uh, the toy sales for Buster Gundam are lagging in comparison to everything else. We need to drum up demand for Buster Gundam. Guess what, Fukuda Morisawa? That character needs to become a good guy. And that is why that happens later in that show, by, um, you know, merchandising demands... And it worked. Uh, you know, Buster Gundam ended up becoming a, a bigger seller, and now there is a Master Grade, uh, you know, which is the one of the highest quality model kits you can get, which they only release for things that are sufficiently popular. Like, you know, initially everything comes out as, like, high grade, and then maybe, um, you know, if the high grade sells, then they have, like, the next tier up. And um, so to see Buster Gundam in Master Grade is like, oh, wow, interesting. Uh, you know, given its storied past. The show benefited greatly from 
that decision as well. It did um, work out. Yeah. It did work out. It's one of the best examples of, of executive meddling actually improving a character and the overall story because it resulted in, like, well, my favorite episode, um, episode 30? 32. Or it's, it's, it's yeah. episode 32 in the original, episode 30 in the remastered version, which we'll, we'll talk about later. Right. Um, where, you know, Mirialia grabs a knife and... Well, and, well let's talk about that scene because yeah. I, that's part of why, uh, if you want to tell me, like, what are my favorite episodes of Gundam Seed, yeah. uh, that would be one of them. And then, um, you know, roughly this episode 28 to 30 sort of time frame, right? And so... The reason why is why I can't recommend anybody watch the HD remaster. Because part of what made uh, that moment that you're talking about so big, uh, and this works, this is a good rule in anime in general. Um, you can make scenes memorable um, through the use of music. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the case of the original broadcast of Gundam C, there was an insert song um, by Fiction Junction, which is uh, Yuki Kaijer and I, one of her vocalists. You know, she always uses a different band name depending mm-hmm. on who her vocalist is. And all, all these things happen at once, and they all sort of culminate. And the song kind of uh, really plays that. In the HD remastered, they did not have the rights to that song anymore, and so that sequence plays out with sort of generic background music. It is significantly less uh, memorable as yeah. a result. Uh, and actually. With- just just to correct you on one thing, the, with Akasuki no Kuruma, that song, it is still in the HD version. Just not during in, that scene? Not during that scene. It's pl- used a couple other times. Um, I think the first time is when Atherin and Kigali are in the cave together, and then also when they're escaping Orb. I think he, I think Fukuda wanted the song to be associated with Kigali, but you know, fuck that. It was way better. <laughs> yeah, it's not. That, I like 32. the original yeah, usage yeah. of that. Because looking back, you know... 15 years later and change like greatest scenes in, or moments in Gundam Seed it's like my memory goes to that and part of it is because of that the use of that song and just th- those series of episodes just are very momentous things that happen in the span of like you know those the late 20s early 30s portion of Gundam Seed. Worth noting about that scene as well when it aired on Toonami in the states they actually digitally removed the knife that uh, Mirialia was So she's trying just trying to, to, to hammer fist him then, I yeah, guess. Yeah, basically. And they did, they did play Akasuki no Kuruma, the song, but it was they, they made multiple cuts to it, so the, the song was skipping around. Right, it's, and so the it, tempo of it is off yeah. because a lot of the, the framing of the shots and the cutting uh, is is it's kind of done to match the song in some ways, yeah. right? And so it, it doesn't it, it work in the TV broadcast. The U.S. version was clearly edited by people who just did not give a shit. There were other hack jobs that aired on Toonami before that, but they were being at least handled a little more carefully by people who I think actually cared about making sure that the final product was like, comprehensible or still had impact. Gundam Seed definitely did not, did not, they did not achieve that with the edited Toonami version of Gundam Seed. Uh, also, I mentioned before that, that music played a big role in, uh, the general impact of Gundam Seed in Japanese pop culture. And, I mean, this has some great music, whether you're- Oh yeah, TM at- Revolution. You gotta hand it to this guy. TM Revolution has managed to be relevant to new generations of anime fans for the last 20 years. Yeah. I mean, he started in the mid-90s with, like, Rurouni Kenshin, which was, like, the hottest uh, shonen action series for its time. Nowadays, it's kind of a anathema. We don't talk about Rurouni Kenshin because of the, you know, revelations about its author. But, um, you know, that was a huge thing for my uh, adolescence. And then 
five years and change later with Gundam Seed. Now, like, you know, TM Revolution, they came to him. They said, we want you to do it. And TM Revolution was like, yes, I'm a huge fan of Gundam. And TM Revolution's songs ended up becoming just forever associated with Gundam Seed and sequels. And they even put TM Revolution in Gundam Seed as, like, you know, where's Poochie kind of character. He had two two roles and, like, I think at least one episode where he was the narrator. Uh, Yes, a a recap episode. You're right. Yeah. Um, and and the thing is that I think TM Revolution was kind of washed up by 2002 when Gundam Seed started, but now like his career was completely resurrected, and he still his face still haunts us today in like toilet freshener ads in Japan. Well, uh, TM Revolution, TM Revolution uh, is obviously you know because of Thunderbolt Fantasy, he's in yeah. that. He's got yes, a role yes. in the next season of Thunderbolt Fantasy, even. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, and he was in the movie also, so I mean, it's not like a yeah. unheard of thing, but I mean. Yeah. You know, that guy is still relevant now, and, you know, Gundam Seed, the popularity of that, for whatever it's worth, that was a gateway to him getting an invite to perform overseas in the United States. And once he did that, you know, his music set was still Gundam Seed songs and stuff like that, in addition to the other stuff like, uh, I don't know if Soul Eater had come out at that point, by, by 2003, I don't think so. But, um, it was a few years later than that. Yeah. But yeah. the point is, is like, you know, once he was able to go overseas and, you know, then he starts to be in demand globally. It's like, oh, you've made it to America now. And I know this because I, I interviewed TM Revolution. I asked him about this and he said, yeah, this is, re- this was a really big thing, Gundam Seed and specifically the American fans and, and that sort of stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the music for this series overall is very good. We mentioned Yuki Kaijura. Um, Yuki Kaijura in general, is the queen of having these great soundtracks to terrible shows. But um, <laughs> I actually think that the Gundam Seed soundtrack uh, is solid, and it's not a terrible show. Uh, but Gundam Seed Destiny, uh, I'm not going to defend it. Um, but yeah, Yuki Hydra, she generally does like the songs to like Dot Hack and stuff like that, where it's like big sweeping momentous music as nothing is happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she did the ending theme songs to Gundam Seed, and they, they went very... Like, there's a very big investment in music in general for Gundam Seed between the multiple opening and ending uh, sequences. Because, again, there's four for the show every 13 episodes. New opening, new ending, new song each time, plus insert songs, plus, you know, if they have a little spin-off thing to promote, like, uh, this, you know, manga or what have you, you know, song just for that. Yeah, uh, it's not even just the pop music that was used. Like the score by uh, Toshihiko Sahashi, apparently he produced more music for this for both Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny than has been produced for I think any other anime, or at least that was the case at some point. It's all very good, and it blends so well with the pop insert songs, with the pop theme songs. Um, I, Gundam Seed, I think, is just a musical triumph in oh, yeah. basically every way. And it's also funny that, uh, you know, it has all these theme songs, and I think Gundam Seed was one of the big things that pushed, I think it was Tofu Records in the States, um, they were really making a hard push to get a lot of this, you know, a lot of these artists recognized, because that's just sort of the, the, the era they were operating in, and they were some of the most prominent artists of that time. And it's really unfortunate, in, on the YTV broadcast, um, most of the theme songs were intact. We only got one opening. We got the shortened version of the opening. I guess they they didn't want the 
jiggling tits on the uh, the white. Yeah, they are so, colossal breasts. I, yes. I must point yeah. out on on who we only you have to keep watching till like the end of the show to say whose boobs are these. And I, I always figured they were Maru's, but I've heard a lot are, of people dispute that. No, they are not. They are not hers. They are in fact, and I'm going to spoil this show. But I, I believe every time they would show that shot, they they always made a point to show um the antagonist of the series, uh, Raleigh Crusade, or, uh, you know, as you saw in the fan sub days, that is not how they, everyone would call him Cruz, but no, it's uh, Raleigh Crusade. Yeah. And, yeah. um, his, as his heroic counterpart, Mula Flaga, um, they would both be shown, and then, you know, silhouette of, uh, the DNA double helix, and, you know, a shadowy woman with, uh, you know, double D hooters, you know, jiggling majestically yeah. in the background, and that is because I believe and now I'm I'm forgetting because I didn't rewatch these last episodes, but I thought it was Kira's mother, or uh, at the very least uh, the person who was like um, you know the scenario by which you give birth to you know these sorts of coordinator like t- type characters. But she yeah. was like the mother character for that, who is uh, dead before the series even starts. But you do get to see uh, you know some massive jiggles uh, going on for for 13 episodes straight, and sometimes even when they change over the opening because it was. Uh, it was incremental, right? Like you change portions of it, but keep certain shots. Yeah. I think that shot stuck around for a little longer. They, they, they brought it back for the for the final. With Gundam, when with Gundam's Destiny, when they redid the fi- they redid the final episode as Final Plus, um, where they just God, they had three it. chances to stick the ending of that, and they <laughs> dropped the ball three yeah. times. But they brought now that they shot four. They made a special opening for that episode, and they brought the shot back just for that, even after it hadn't been seen for many years. So I was convinced that my mention of jiggling breasts would have convinced Jarvis to break his 45-minute silence, but I <laughs> failed. You guys are on such a roll. I didn't want to say anything. Um, I don't want to okay. be like the American steamroller here. This is your show, okay, guys. Okay. Let, let, me just, uh, let me just finish this thought, and uh, then I'll, I'll, we'll maybe talk about favorite episodes, and then we'll give J- Jarvis a, a chance to chime in. But with uh, with the tsunami with the tsunami and YTV broadcast, we only got that one shortened version of the TM Revolution opening. With the tsunami broadcast, they only played the first ending. I can never pronounce the Japanese version. Well, I, I know it's um you know Anona ni isho de Atsami. Although we were always together, right? Uh, which is a song about Kira and Athrun, of course. Right. Um, that is like the song, and like um I always did like um I believe City Hunter was the first to innovate this. Correct me if I'm wrong on this Jarvis. Yeah, I think but you are correct. Having the end song start as like a lead in before the credits begin, like as the to let people know like up oh, episode's about to end, the theme song starts to kick in. And um, you know, certainly that song uh ended up becoming iconic because especially when they would go back to it. Uh, later on, once it was no longer the end song, I was Jarvis, like, "Jarvis, oh, can you yeah. can you confirm that?" I absolutely can confirm that because I remember the uh, episode of Anime World Order where you uh, talked about that. And weren't you uh, interviewing Helen McCarthy, and she brought that up? Uh, it is possible, but it, ultimately, if it's wrong, it just means you're remembering that I sold you the wrong thing many, many years. Uh, but I believe it is good. correct. <laughs> I believe I am accurate on that. Yeah. yeah well, we could. I. I regret that we uh, didn't get to ask the producer on uh, City Hunter back in 2012 SoccerCon. Well, you know, he is uh, doing the rounds uh, at conventions again lately. But um... Just to finish the thought, so the Toonami version, you mentioned that uh, Seed brought back that that trend of having the song start and then transition into the opening, uh, the, the ending credits, which is used to such great effect. 
uh, across both Seed and Seed Destiny. The Toonami version ruins that completely uh, because it actually they just cut together a 30 second version. Right, of, because to get more song. commercials in, yeah, uh, and, and this happened uh, frequently and still happens, I think, to this day, where you have a one minute and 30 second opening and you know a roughly one minute to one minute 30 second ending. Uh, so that's three minutes total. But if you can trim those things down to maybe 30 seconds each, now you have two more minutes to show commercials. And so that's what they would do time and time again for show after show after show just because that's, you know, the the goal of television is to make people watch commercials, not to make people watch credits. So if you, um, you know, fast forward or speed up the credits and the speed at which, you know, the names show up, then you can uh, fit in another commercial there. But unfortunately, in the case of the way that Seed is laid out, you know, it is like a, a slow build and then, you know, the song starts to play and then once the, the, the hook hits in, then it's like, okay, now cut to credits. Um, you lose that, uh, from the television broadcast. Uh, no, yeah. Moot point now, but, um. Yeah, basically what, what Bandai did, uh, if you remember the TV version of Gundam Wing, they, they cut together a little 30 second, um, and, uh. Yeah, like a um, shortened version. A shortened there. Uh, ending. Um, that just use an instrumental from the soundtrack. They use a short, they, they, they made something similar for, for Gundam Seed and tacked it onto the end, but they would always cut the song off, like right when the actual episode ended, and then just kind of jump into, awkwardly jump into this shortened 30 second ending that had, you know, the same song, but it would just kind of jump to a different part of the song. It doesn't have the same effect at all. Um, the version that ran on YTV did have the full ending intact, and it was actually really great because YTV had this problem back then where they would sometimes play ads over the ending credits, which isn't a big problem for most shows, but it was a problem with, with Gundam Seed. So they actually made Gundam Seed an exception and never played credit or any commercials over the ending for it because um, there were legitimate concerns that it would, you know, interrupt the actual end of the episode. So that was always great. So we always got the full ending on that show. And with Gundam Seed Destiny, we got all of the full openings and endings, except in that case, we actually did not get the first TM Revolution opening. And the reason is because they were trying to sell a high and mighty color CD at that time. So they said, okay, let's just jump right to the second opening. So uh, the version of Gundam Seed Destiny that aired on YTV, it doesn't have the first TM Revolution opening at all. It just instead jumps to the full second opening. I guess this is the, the, one of the few cases where it seemed some, somebody in the uh, the production committee for Gundam Seed Destiny actually cared about the Canadian audience. Because you know when the Je- when the Japanese companies jump in and mess mess around with things, that's that's when they actually care. <laughs> you know, well, you'd think the that they would have had like some sort of hesitance because at some point Mitsuo Fukuda goes off the deep end with making sure that. Everybody is naked in these yeah. opening credits. Uh, it's not just, you know, silhouettes of boobs. It's like everyone yeah. has got to be, you know, completely in the buff. And you'd think that some, uh, you know, concerned uh, cable executive would say, we probably shouldn't have this many naked 14-year-olds <laughs> in our opening credits, especially even when they uh, don't look it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because... Uh, the version that aired on YTV, it had all that, all the uncut openings with the nudity intact, but they made edits, some small edits to like sexuality and nudity in the episodes itself. They didn't edit any violence in Gundam Seed Destiny. So all the, which is unfortunate because a lot of the, the violence in Destiny, I think, is a lot more gratuitous than the violence in the original Seed where it has. Ha, I don't intact. know about that. I, I don't see <laughs> that some shockingly violent moments in it as far as yeah. like, 
uh, blood and people exploding. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that happens. Uh, it, it's funny, just, just to get into the specific edits, YTV cut out the first time the people exploded at the, uh, um, in Alaska, which is one of my favorite episodes. That's just, it's just such an awesome, shocking, shocking okay, scene. Well, yeah, that's they, a... they kept it in in some of the flashbacks, though. Okay, well, that's so crazy, because, was... I mean, again, you know, as far as, like, a huge impact, like, oh, my God, because it's, yeah. like, a horribly gruesome death that, you know, this uh, weapon inflicts upon people. Yeah. Um, and so that sequence, you know, combined with what's happening at the time, um, you know, the introduction of the freedom and that sort of stuff, it's like, these are the things that, you know, again, it's been 15 years, and what sticks out as, like, the most memorable parts of Gundam Seed to me are elements that oftentimes were just removed from the television broadcast entirely. And so yeah. these are things that can color one's perception of the show and its legacy and why I think, you know, certain people in Canada will will remember this show better. It's because they were able to actually see it. Seed is, if, is heavily characterized by, like, it's it has just these intense, shocking scenes that just embed themselves into your brain forever uh and most of them were intact in the canadian broadcast a few were cut but it was it was mostly intact i think that, i think this might actually be a good opportunity to start just getting into some of our favorite episodes um jarvis did you want to kind of share your thoughts on that yeah sure well daryl just mentioned one of them the c the episode where the freedom comes back yeah and where, where it shows up for the like basically yeah yeah, and again, yeah. that's another one where, uh, you know, you've got that TM Revolution song that only plays pretty much that one time until, like, it plays a few other times. It's like, mm -hmm. that's the song of, like, somebody is about to get that ass beat, you know. I'm, I'm playing that on. song in my head right now. Right, you can hear it. Like, it's like the music kicks in, and then this is what happens, and yeah, perfect. You can maybe hear that little sound chime of the seed exploding in his brain. That episode is just so great because it it builds up to the uh, the horrific Cyclops tragedy so well. When you just see that you know all the uh, all the generals have have abandoned the facility and you know they're all turns out they're all blue cosmos and are just determined to kill coordinators at any cost. And then it just ends with this horrible horrible carnage. Oh, it's so wonderful. I love it. Yeah, and then just the way that the the song climaxes at the moment where it seems like uh, Kira is going to to kill Isaac once and for all. And, uh, you know, Tomo Kazaseki, the voice of Izak in the Japanese, like, the scream that he lets out right there is, like, this really blood-curdling, I'm about to die, and it makes, like, the scene, like, so perfect, because at the very last second, he realizes it's the fake-out, he cuts off the legs of the robot, does not kill anyone, and, and from that point on, you know, the, the meme of Jesus Yamato, rather than Kira Yamato, is, is born, right? Because from that point on, he's basically unstoppable. Um yeah. But, you know, as far as, like, the effectiveness of that moment is, like, yeah, really high up there. Good pick. Any, anything else, Jarvis? Oh, uh, let me think. Oh, yeah, actually. The other episode I probably go back to sometimes, like, twice a year. I'll go back and watch the second-to-last episode where Moo Lafaga gets... That's the main gets, episode, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah turn, gets turned into pink smoke. Well, the, and, here's, here's the thing. It's, like, that second-to-last episode is such a meat grinder of an episode as far as, like, the amount of people who just get quickly and summarily dispatched. And it's like, oh, they just killed that person. Like, you know, very much in the, you know, because this is how Gundam operates, right? Uh, but, you know, that finale one um, for Mu sacrificing himself. Um, yeah, or, like, when they smoke Nataro. Yeah, like, that's another one which, I which like, hits you, you know, because that's the other one where it's like... um 
I, I thought they happened like, you know, almost in succession, like those scenes. Oh, yeah, they, well, within like seconds. Because Moose sacrifices himself and then that's what enables, uh, Ramius to fire the Lohengrin. Yeah. Wow. Like, you know, that's like, you know, the, a huge finale. Um, yeah. and of it course. It also emphasizes just what like an unstoppable monster Asriel has been built up to be because they take him down, but they have to take two beloved characters down with him. Right. And, and so that's why I said it's a satisfying moment. The yeah. only thing I knew about this show from episode one was just the final moments of Mulaflog because it was just it was just this meme to spoil that and to post the picture of him giving the thumbs up and saying I knew I could make the impossible possible and you know all that stuff. Like that was all I knew. And it's still like even though I knew that it was gonna happen, like, you know, the circumstances of yeah. it um you know, were fantastic. And that's part of why I've got such an axe to grind with Seed Destiny, because they took that away. Like, they walked it back, and they said, no, yeah. in the re-edit that we're going to do for the movie, we're going to make it so it's somehow uh, an ambiguous uh, death that he just survives that. And I don't like his, his mask yeah. is no, or his helmet is no longer floating in space. Right. They edited <laughs> out the shot of his shattered helmet to confirm, like, okay, he and is that dead. is the version. That's the version they use in the HD remaster right. of Gundam. Well, they have as to well. because that's yeah. like, oh, that's now the canon is the movie re-edit to explain yeah. why is he alive in the next series when you just saw him in the original show die, and here's the body, and here's you know uh, Murray Ramius uh, recovering the remains in the helmet and keeping it. And it's like, well, if we just edit all that out, now it didn't happen. And it's like. Get out of here, guys. Unplanned sequel. Yeah. You know, and you... I like. I don't think that the in Destiny. I don't think the intention was even to re- actually reveal that that Neo was Mu. I think it's just the revelation they fell back on due to all the production problems. They're just like, fuck it. I don't care anymore. He's he, you know, he's Mu. The opening <laughs> sequence changed to show you know in the opening credits you know uh, Mori Ramius face uh, you know distraught as she holds the pistol. The camera. Yeah pans over to show, you know, that she's pointing a gun at Neon Lornok with his mask off, but you don't see his face. Next credit sequence, there he is in the opening credits, mask off, smiling and naked, of course, you know, because yeah. that's how they roll. And it's like, yeah. you haven't yet taken the mask off in the show, and you've done this. And it's like, all right, well, I guess that's who he is, you know, but the question is how, and then they never really answer how in a satisfactory method, and so that's part of why I'm just so... Disappointed in Sea Destiny, uh, but yeah, Jarvis. To go to your point, you know that episode, that 49th episode, uh, you know the the Genesis attack and all that kind of stuff is uh, yeah, that's top rate stuff. Yeah, I, I've always ever since uh, seeing that episode, for me personally, I felt like every Gundam series is just setting up dominoes so that eventually we can get to we can knock the dominoes down and we can get these moments. Moments just like that where somebody dies, something blows up, and it'll just stick with you for, you know, the rest of your life. There is a diminishing return on that, though, because once you start to say, okay, they're just putting these people here to kill them off for heat, then it's like when they do it, you don't really care. And that even happened to an extent in that episode. Like, you know, you had a couple of, like, uh, you know, other pilots and stuff who, you know, they just very recently introduced like a few episodes ago uh you know thinking of like the three girls who they get their own like strikes and then they're just summarily killed and it's like that sucks i feel sort of bad but we also didn't really get to know them very well and similarly like they introduce a couple of new um bad guy characters because hey you know all these initial characters are too popular 
and so we don't want to kill them off. Well, let's introduce some some crazy sort of um, you know cyber new type equivalent sort of insane characters and have them look stupid, and then you know have them get killed, and you be like, okay, hell yeah. Um, you so. uh, you bring up villains. Could we do a tight five on uh, Rao Lacruse and sort of get into he's sort of like everybody's first exposure to the whole char archetype. Like every Gundam has to have a guy wearing a mask. And uh, where do you fall on on him? Is he a because he's got no staying power with me? I actually had to look at a wiki to even remember his name. And uh, what what the hell is his motivation again? What was he trying exactly. to do? Exactly. So, Travis, I mean, you're not you're not very familiar with kitchenware products. If you couldn't remember, Le right? You know, Le Creuset, <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, but Lauren Orsini, who um, you know is the Forbes columnist uh, who often writes about things Gundam because of uh, you know just that being like her wheelhouse. Um, she did this hilarious panel all about the various shock characters uh, in Mobile Suit Gundam shows, uh, mm-hmm. mainly focusing on the original Shaw Osnable. But um, one thing she did was she made, like, a Dungeons & Dragons alignment chart of your various Shaws. And uh, Raul Le Creuset falls under chaotic evil. Because, uh, <laughs> that's accurate. Know, what the hell does this guy want to do and why? It's like, okay, well, it's a mystery throughout most of the show. And then it's like, eh, I just want to kill everybody. Uh, it's like, all right, well, um, I guess, uh, you know, if you want to be a bad guy, then I want to kill everyone is certainly a reason. But, um, you know, I think part of what diminishes him is just the fact that um, he doesn't really have that strong of a motivation to do the things that he's doing. He's not really that developed compared to, like, a Shah Oz novel. He's or, not all that charming, either. No, like, he's just, he is just a guy uh, in a mask who pilots a robot, and part of the structure of the way Gundam Seed is, is that especially in the first 13 episodes, it's very, you know, G.I. Joe, Transformers G1-like, where it's like, all right, Rala Crusade comes out, and then Muaflaga deploys in the Sky Grasper, and they fire beams at each other, and nobody really hits each other, and then they fly away, and they, at the end, see you next week, kids. And then we'll, we're going to repeat that. Um, and, and, and so eventually, um, you know, they sort of do like the... You know, the Shaw's novel Circa Shaw's counterattack stuff with him where like, alright, he, uh, you know, gets, uh, Flay Ulster who's, uh, you know, the quest pariah, you know, of this, uh, to, to <laughs> I sort didn't of even make that connection. Join. I, I, I dispute that, but maybe we'll get to Flay in a, in a minute. Alright, well, I, I, I yeah. think Flay is one of the most disliked characters in the show. I think if you want to talk about like who's a, a real villain character, I think people are far more willing to to be really angry over Flay Alster than they are over uh, Raul Crusade, even though Raul Crusade, um, you know, is you know the masked villain behind it all, um, and certainly uh, as far as like deaths that happen occur, you know, everyone is like pumping their fists like hell yes, thank God finally when when Flay Alster bites it, when Raul Crusade bites it, it's like eh, okay, I guess. Yeah. With uh, with Raleigh Crusade, yeah, I agree. His motivation is it's not very good. Um, I think the, there is some the, the character is well used. There's a lot of very he's used in a lot of subtle ways early in the series to sort of set up very large scale events that happen later. There's all sorts of stuff that he's doing that I didn't even catch until like the second viewing of the show. How like, specifically his correspondence with Asriel 
and how he's like exchanging information with him and getting information through to the the, the Earth Alliance that cause you know mass death in in certain cases. Um, Hold on. I'll, I'll, I'll... Also, that gives us probably one of the other great uh, enduring memes of Seed is when Azrael gets the oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah, neutron he gets that information and he starts to like pull his hair out of the computer. That frequently was a thing that people would post uh, in response to like having read like something particularly stupid that they just saw. Like, you yeah. know, it's a, a good internet meme uh, picture of, of Azrael freaking out. Yeah. And, and Azrael, I, I like Azrael a lot as a villain. Um, I think he, I think he's, especially looking at him now, uh, I think he's a very good depiction of a fascist. Uh, he's this guy you can just, you just tell he kind of weaseled his way into his position, into the position he has. He, he, you know, he strikes you a lot like a, like a Nigel Farage kind of, kind yeah, of. Yeah, he's only in a few yeah. episodes. Like, they introduce him very late in the show. But like... he is, he is first mentioned very early. I think he's mentioned around episode six or seven. It's it's he's very subtly set up and then built up to later. I, I but I think a lot of people don't really really notice a lot of the early uh, Blue Cosmos setups. I thought uh, they were just talking about Blue Cosmos in the general sense, and then they, they introduce him very late in the show and say, "Oh, well, they, I'm the leader of Blue Cosmos." Azrael is mentioned by name very early in the show, usually by Rowley Crusade, because you you learn about his his uh, his dealings with. Um, with Azrael before you're introduced to Azrael himself. So I guess it's a testament to how well Gundam Seed actually was planned out, even if the initial execution in the first few episodes wasn't wasn't that great. Um, but yeah, just the just the the way he's introduced as this like slimy guy in a suit, even when he's in a military setting, he, he's a guy who shouldn't have any authority, and he just completely goes ballistic uh, when given the chance to. And I, I in terms of the dub, I got to give props to Andrew Francis. He did a fantastic job. Uh, as Asriel, because um, he's good at psychotic characters uh, most of the time, I'd say. But yeah, g- getting into Flay Ulster, um, so I I know that uh, Kess is like from from Shara's Counterattack. That's the the common uh, analogy. I, I think she is she she's more than than Kess. I think I I think that when I watched the show last, you know. I, I can see why people hate her a lot, but I think she's really one of the most human characters. Um, in this show where a lot of the characters don't really act in, you know, really natural or realistic ways, especially late, later on in the series. Because um, she, she's basically just manipulating people behind the scenes. and Yeah, she's manipulative and she's a, yeah. a racist. And she yes. is, you know, going to stab everyone in the back and defect, you know, for questionable <laughs> ra- rationale. Yeah. Um, and so she's always, like, very... Uh, shrill and whiny, and um, she is, however, uh, you know, quite attractive. And so, you know, she's like this, uh, this, this very strong, uh, detestable character. Even though uh, I don't know if that was the intent initially, I think it just became that way. It seems at first she actually has some elements. Okay, because one thing I like about Gundam Seed as an adaptation of the original is that it takes a lot of underdeveloped ideas that were in the original Mobile Suit Gundam, and that didn't really get fleshed out. And it does something different with them. Um, that's one of the areas where I think Gundam Seed succeeds as a re- re-envisioning of the original. Because you know none of the characters are perfect analogs to. No, no, and I'm I'm glad they're them. not because yeah. we just we 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 wouldn't need the show otherwise. Yeah. Exactly. Flay, she she kind of struck me as sort of a 
Because because in the original, we, we, we hear a little bit about Mirai and how she, her father is this famous politician. They don't really explore that or really do anything with it in the original Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, Flay, initially, she is the character who has, like, this famous politician father, and they kind of take a different direction with it than they did with the original Mobile Suit Gundam. They, they you know, have her, her father killed and um, have her, show her have this really unsavory reaction to it to the point where she she's manipulating people and also has her actions validated much later on due to her position as um this this daughter of a famous politician um and that just creates more problems later on and then you know she gets kidnapped i don't know i think i i think flay is is a she's a frustrating character but i think she adds a really important element to seed that makes it stand out not only from other gundam shows but also from other anime too because you don't you know, with a, with an attractive female character like her, you don't really see someone as severely flawed like she is in very many any shows. Well, I've been meaning to ask for a while now, but isn't it sort of a uh, a trope in like Gundam shows and just about anything that Tamino touches? Although he didn't touch this show, that there's always one female character who changes sides, is a little bit unstable. Uh, like you know, uh, I understand what you mean. Like you yeah, know, in yeah. Zeta Gundam and in the various things. But yeah, like the most obvious, like just in terms of like, I think the reason everyone always is so quick to compare Flay to Quest is that they're just so annoying. Yeah. Uh, they're very like you know, I can't wait to see this character die and or otherwise not be on camera. Let's see it happen. In such a short amount of time, in the case of Shaw's Counterattack, Quest Pariah was only introduced at that very end, and she's like the most like, you know, poochy, the, you know, the dog kind of <laughs> character. It's like get yeah. out of here. And then it's like Flay is like, okay, this for fifty episodes now. Um, so that's part of it. Um, though we actually, now that I think about it, uh, we have not yet heard uh, what were your favorite episodes, Jesse. Uh, I think we've already covered them pretty much. Okay, it's just overlap uh, like, between what? Yeah, like I think most people, I think most people who are at least who are fans of the series would agree. Like episode thirty-two with Miralia try- trying to kill Diarca, the second last episode with the just phenomenal ending scene, smash cut to ending credits, just awesome, great stuff. Did you have any any more to add? I I kind of like the episode where Athrin confronts his father. He he shoots him, and then that that was again sort of the um the 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 point where they are permanently driven apart, and and Athrin begins his deflection. And that is also in that episode where we really start to see Patrick Zala as like this horrible the other the other side of horrible fascism that we see in the series. And I was talking a bit before about how we, we the series kind of explores aspects of the original Gundam that didn't really get a lot of attention. Um, I think one of them is, like, the idea of fascism being driven by genetic superiority and purity. Because uh, you, you got that one episode of with Gehir and Zabi, you know, ranting about superior races, which, you know, it, it kind of drives the point that he's like a Hitler-like figure, but it, it's kind of superficial in the end. But when you hear someone like Patrick Zala spouting that out, you really believe it. Uh, and I think that really... Uh, really makes him an effective antagonist uh, along with, you know, with, with Azrael and the other characters who are not um, Rally Crusade as well. But yeah, I think I think in, in the second half of the series, like every second or third episode has some, something that really sticks out and, uh, and and stays with you. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you guys in, as far as the, uh, the favorite episodes go. Yeah, if I had to pick one that um, we haven't picked yet, I also really enjoy the episode where uh, Kira and Atherin 
you know, have their sort of mid-show climactic battle, uh, uh, and the strike gets, uh, you know, blown up, and whoever that, you know, side character is flying the, uh, Toll. the sky Toll. grasper, uh, yeah. fight. So basically, that whole episode is one of my favorites because, you know, that is where at first you think, like, maybe there is a possibility that these characters can reconcile, but as time goes on, like, more and more things start to happen that, like, drives them further apart and in that episode i was like okay kira kills nickel and then Othran kills toll and like that's one of my favorite episodes and it's like you think like and that's another meme is uh much like how the movie akira everyone always remembers people yelling tetsuo and then Kami, oh, you know certainly I forgot people about took, that. Like, the animated gif of, like kira Atherin, kira At-, you know like that was um you know another big episode that's again right Shortly before the, um, you know, episode that we were talking about earlier with, um, cause, you know, uh, that's the end of that episode or roughly around there is when Diarca is captured. And so the episode we were talking about, others shortly after that. But yeah, that's a really strong episode. I also like, uh, you know, when I was talking about, um, what took for me to sort of get interested in the show, like the first hook for me was around episode 13, which most people nowadays, like, they don't have that kind of patience. Like, you kidding me? You want me to watch an entire, like, entire anime shows now are 13 episodes. You want me to wait through, slog through 13 episodes of setup? But that 13th episode, which sort of culminates with, like, okay, we're, we're gonna spend this episode, like, um, saving the refugees or, or what have you, the, um, people, and then they just get killed immediately because, uh, Isaac, um, you know, fires thinking that it's something else. Also very, Similar to uh, some scenes in, in Zeta Gundam, I was like, okay, this show's actually got a little bit of, of, of teeth on it, as because you know previous episodes that were surprisingly, uh, like I said, kitty style as far as like you know GI Joe-ish, and then you know episode thirteen comes around, it's like, no, okay, now we're playing playing for some keeps. So yeah, those are like the the bits that really uh, stick out to me, I think, as far as like you know favorite uh, episodes in the show. Um, though certainly, uh, you know, the perverts will be more than pleased to point out, uh, you know, when they invariably do the sequence that's meant to mirror the part in the original first Gundam where they go to Earth and they encounter Ronda Rawl. Uh, in this case, um, you know, the Ronda Rawl equivalent is a guy named, uh, you know, I was going to say Andrew Graham, but I don't think uh, Andrew Graham. Andrew Walt. Andrew Walt. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Graham is the yeah. lumberjack uh, piloting Neo-Canada's uh, Gundam uh, in G-Gundam. No, but uh, yeah, Andrew Waltman. Um in this show who uh, really likes his coffee. Um, you know, there's uh, certainly a scene that is only there to inspire people to draw porno where they, um, you know, have the tzatziki sauce or whatever. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> yes. you know, basically bukake kigali uh, with the sauce to give the people... Se- the series definitely, that scene comes off as very puzzling and strange if you don't look at it with that connotation. With that sinister connotation <laughs> of that's exactly what this is here for, guys. Yeah. Um, you know. And, and also, I, I want to point out Andy Waltfeld... He- he is one of the few characters that just comes off as a knockoff of a character right. from the original Gundam, but I think that's one case where bringing him back to life later on actually was a massive benefit to his character. Because also, unlike other characters that get brought back to life later on in the series, he, he he loses an eye and an arm and has some you know something to show for it. Yeah, he um, gets a sweet gun in that arm. Does he get a gun in his arm? Yeah, he has a yeah, yeah. firearm in his oh, prosthetic. Nice. Yeah, he murks some oh, guy oh, wait, in, uh, that's in episode that's in 13 Destiny. of Destiny. That's in, yeah, yeah that's okay, Destiny, so right, if right. it was Destiny, maybe we don't want to remember it too well. <laughs> but in any case... Um, yeah, I blocked much of it out. Right. There, there is one 
area that I think of the ending that I do feel a bit critical of. And uh, so Jarvis mentioned, uh, you know, we haven't even talked about why it's called Gundam Seed. But, um, you know, there is effectively an effect that they show that some of these coordinator-like characters have whenever they, like... Um, you know, effectively do the equivalent of going Super Saiyan in Dragon Ball Z, where they yeah. show like, um, you know, a seed, um, basically, uh, disperse as if it's like, uh, you know, a limit break in Final Fantasy, and then suddenly they are able to, you know, be oh, and their, and their eyes go all, uh, glassy yeah, as get well. Get fully dilated yeah. and all that kind of stuff, and at that point their reactions and, you know, ability to process stuff, um, goes off the charts. So, Throughout the entire series, uh, we only ever see this happen with, like, a very limited amount of people. Akira first, and then, you know, Othran. Um, then the final episode, they have uh, a character, you know, do this for whom there has been no uh, setup or inkling or, you know, in- implication that they could or potentially be a coordinator or whatever. And then later on, they said, actually, that person's not a coordinator and anyone can do seed. And that was really just because they had to cover up for the fact that Kigali uh, had the seed effect at one point in the very end. And everyone, it was like a holy crap sort of moment because it's out of nowhere. But it's never, ever followed up upon. It's never, ever addressed yeah. or even mentioned that it happened. You can tell they just threw that. The only reason you can tell is because a sequel happened, because Gundam Seed Destiny occurred, that, oh, they weren't thinking when they threw that in. They just threw that in to be like, wow, no one's going to expect this. This will be great. And if they had an actual explanation they were building up to, they would have used it in Destiny. Yeah. Because if it was something that was pre-planned, they, there was, like, they could have been followed it. up on. Yeah. But it wasn't followed up on, and it was never mentioned again, and no non-coordinator character ever did that ever again. So it was clearly, like, just, um, you know, that mentality of writing of, this is unexpected, and people will never see it coming, and people will be blown away. And I believe that that mentality ended up becoming just the basis for how they wrote Gundam 00 from start to finish, uh, especially this, <laughs> or at least the very least the second half. And then, you know, Code Geass and all that stuff like it. Just like, let's just throw something out there and be like, wow, you didn't see that coming. It was a, a moment that I feel like, you know, if you're going to go with that route, you may as well have Andrew go seed. And then as a result of going seed, he brews the perfect cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> You know, but uh, no, nothing like that ever happened. Yeah. Also, I think a big reason why we don't see any natural characters going seed later on in Destiny is because there are none. <laughs> that that whole faction is just sort of annihilated and forgotten, and everyone is some kind of superpowered coordinator or faux new type. I think I think by the end of Destiny, they even just say "fuck it." Here is a new type too. They have they give them the new type Flash. Like, well, yeah, not? you know why um, not? Because again, like I said, from the time he gets the freedom. In Gundam Seed, a rough, which is basically his mid-season upgrade, Kira Yamato is unstoppable. Like, you can't mm-hmm. fathom anybody even touching this guy. And that's why everyone just, like, you know, whenever the topic of Gundam Seed comes up, everyone says, oh, God, Jesus, Yamato. Um, but, but I love, that's the best part. I, I like that he just comes in and bodies people. Um, but there's a limit, at least in Gundam Seed, to his usage where it's like, okay, yeah, he's just coming in embodying people, but he does he's not just a solution to everything. You still need other things to happen. He can't just go and solve it all. And see Destiny, you're sitting there wondering, why doesn't Kira just solve it all? 
uh, and they don't really have a good answer. One thing that I will point out, and this is um, a bit that I thought is a little example of a detail that they paid off in Gundam Seed that they never really went back to, like as far as the writing mentality. Uh-huh. So the very first episode of Gundam Seed, you know, much like the very first episode of Mobile Suit Gundam, the original, it starts with an attack on a space colony. And in the original Gundam, you know, it was maybe three guys or something like that. In this, it's, you know, more than that. It's five uh, or so. Kira ends up, you know, getting into the Strike Gundam, and he kills one of the guys, Rusty. <laughs> and Yes. Ah, Rusty, yes. What is fascinating about this is the fact that we, the viewing audience, did not get to know Rusty at all. He's just some guy who seems like he's kind of a jerk, who gets blown away in the first episode. But to the people in this show, he was their friend. He was like their best friend who they were around for a long time. And so for multiple episodes from that point on, when they're confronting here about stuff, someone at some point yells out, you killed Rusty. And, you know, the viewing audience will stop and think, who the hell was Rusty? Oh, that's right. So that idiot in the first episode. It's like there are things in this world that suggest that people had a life in an existence Beyond just what you see here in the show. And I thought that little details like that really made the world feel much more rich. And that was just jettisoned entirely from, like, you know, Sea Destiny and Double O and, you know, all the stuff they've made ever since that are meant to sort of capitalize on this Gundam Seed-like vibe. Yeah. There's another thing I was going to point out earlier just regarding the character designs. When I was going back and watching the early episodes of Gundam Seed, I was surprised that, you know, Gundam Seed has this, you know, with, with Hisashi Hirai's character designs, it has the, the, the whole re- reputation of one face with, for all the characters. There's actually quite a bit of diversity you see in the early episodes in the way the characters are designed. But... As it progresses, you see the characters who are more popular or who are coming into more prominence are all kind of morphing into that same mold. Everyone else is just sort of becoming more bland and uh, less eye-catching. And I think also the point where where you you enter that Jesus Yamato territory is where all the characters who have the all the character appeal kind of pumped into them become much more important and uh, both in terms of the plot and in the actual politics of uh, of the Gundam Seed world, uh, to the point where at the end of Gundam Seed Destiny, you have you know these these teenagers essentially ruling all of humanity, and the other as- all the other people who play roles in the background are just kind of non-existent at that point. That's just a weird thread I noticed because Gundam Seed has such a strong reputation with its character appeal as a as a marketing tool. That's kind of how that's how I saw it playing out a lot of the time and the way that the characters are depicted and who's getting, you know, that that kind of attention. I think that compare even compared to previous uh Gundam shows, the politics I found were quite good in this show or the way the politics are are worked out even when you're looking at things like the like the neutron jammers and the neutron jammer cancelers which are completely illogical right the trace buster buster yeah the politics that they built around those those illogical concepts are actually pretty pretty well thought out i mean i mean i guess there's a lot of talking heads and a lot of people sitting around at council tables which maybe not always be the most exciting thing but you get more of a taste of that kind of thing in Gundam Seed than you previously had in other in other Gundam shows, and I found that this more than other Gundam shows had more real world political commentary, like or, or rather modern 
uh, political commentary than you see compared to other Gundam shows previously. Um, obviously, this this show was in 2002, so it was right after post 9/11 and right before the Iraq War had begun. Yeah, Gundam Double O was the attempt to be the post 9/11 yeah. Gundam and the post Iraq War Gundam. Like that was what they were explicitly going for and um you know especially in the first season but yeah like there are elements to seed where you know you can see like elements of this you know having a real world analog now some people would argue that that was sort of always there and just maybe like uh tamino was just too forward thinking uh in the case of gundam seed you know as you're watching it you can look in things and say like okay yeah this has like a direct parallel to something that you know is recognizable to the modern day without explicitly being hey we're just this i think part of the way they get away with it is uh the bold decision on the part of gundam to say you know what gundam needs is you know we need to take our gundam princess uh and also throw in some macross into that because our gundam princess for gundam seed uh lacus klein is also a uh, galactic songstress yes. uh, who's uh, song explicitly called in the title. Songs, of yeah, it songstress of uh, that. But like, um, you know, the the combination of idol singer with uh, you know uh, statesman is really, I think, um, you know, gives Gundam Seed like you know enough of a vibe to be like, okay, look, this ain't this attempt to be like a explicit commentary on global geopolitic but you know you can look at like the motivations of blue cosmos and the motivations of these factions and say aha yeah this exists now i i could be wrong about this but i recall seeing an interview with with fukuda at one point where he when he talked about orb which is like the totally neutral state uh on earth it's like this little island with a massive military that becomes uh, has a very ridiculous large role especially later on in gundam sea destiny um but he, he described its neutrality in his mind as being a representation of japan which is of course a very troubling interpretation of right. um of global politics because because you think it'd be a, switzerland right but yeah. yeah but all but also i guess in the post 9-11 era i mean i i may be exposing my ignorance onto how geopolitics were being thought of in that region at the time but uh with with so much of the post 9-11 world being focused on you know the the situation in the middle east and and its implications in the united states and to a lesser extent extent europe i mean i guess you could kind of see why japan would be would be seen as being separated from all of that or or more disconnected from the most prominent global affairs at the time you know i have mixed feelings about seeing that in the show it's i guess maybe it might be an interesting way of of interpreting how things were at the time but also kind of a a a troubling thing kind of in retrospect and also you have that that stinger in the final episode where it's revealed that the earth alliance uh headquarters are in washington that's an unusual moment in in gundam where they're like kind of taking the taking down the curtain and saying hey look look see what we're implying here uh you know imperialist aspects of of the united states yeah fortunately it's never explored ever again in the subsequent show well that's because they don't even analyze the earth alliance at all in destiny that it becomes such an irrelevant faction they just put all this emphasis on orb for some reason it's a really weird direction i I found in destiny is one of my big problems with it well i think it's just very obvious that um and and this not speculation on my part but this is just the simple truth is Gundam Seed was never intended to have a sequel. 
Gundam Seed, yeah. because of being an alternate universe Gundam show, was meant to just tell everything and be done in one. And so while it was initially like, okay, we'll retell the events of Mobile Suit Gundam, when by the time you get to some of those final episode developments, it's clear they're taking aspects of Zeta Gundam to yeah, exactly. get their finale. And then they said, okay, we're over and done, and we don't need to do anymore. And then the popularity was so overwhelming that they said, wow, we need to make a sequel to this, even though no sequel was intended. And yeah. so because nothing was ever intended in the pipeline, it was like a good 18 months or so between Gundam Seed and Gundam Seed Destiny, and they had to kind of pull from a hat, well, what can Gundam Seed Destiny even be about when we sort of kind of taken the finale of Zeta Gundam already – and put it yeah. in to that show as well, well, we can maybe sort of do this stuff. And that's part of why it became uh, a mess. You know, we talked about some of the other things as well. But that was the other takeaway lesson they said. They said from that point on, they don't ever want to be in that situation where they can't strike while the iron is hot. And so that's why we now have the modern Sunrise production methodology of the split season, where it's like, okay, we yeah. do... Uh, 26 episodes of this, and then 26 episodes of something else, and then in the meantime, we're going to use those six months to look at our marketing data and tailor the next 26 episodes of the previous thing we were doing that'll come out right when the other one ends, and we'll incorporate all that marketing data. And for my money's worth, I don't think that approach has satisfactorily worked yet. I am no. not a fan of like the second half of Gundam 00 or the second half of Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans, or, or a variety of these shows, I think the, the narratives have suffered for it. But that is what they want to do now, and the reason is because they said, you know what, we lost money because that year, and a, if you have a year and a half between your show, then all the Gundam Seed merchandise disappears from the store shelves. Yep. It's only six months, and you tell people it's coming back, Gundam Seed, I mean the Gundam merchandise stays on the shelf the entire time. And that's really the reason why they do that split season approach. Cause like, hey, don't clear, don't have, don't run a clearance sale on those nightmare frames yet. Cause Code Geass R2 is coming back in just six months. Certainly that is, uh, a factor there as far as why they do it. In this case, what they tried to do was, hey, please don't get rid of the Gundam Seed merchandise. We got compilation films coming out. Or we've got, you know, whatever stuff they did to tie people over in the meantime. But yeah, I just don't think that, you know, they've actually had something that has come out as coherent, uh, whether it's as far as political worldview, whether it's just general episode plotting, uh, in your alternate universe Gundam shows since Seed. I think Seed is kind of like, you know, the platonic ideal of like, let's take the merchandising friendly aspects that we learned from like Gundam Wing combined with like the traditional structure of the Universal Century stuff that we learn and, and, and get like that um, that happy medium. So just going back to Gundam Seed as an adaptation of the original, uh, yeah, Daryl, you're right. A big problem with Destiny is that it does try to quote-unquote adapt uh, Zeta Gundam, but it does it in a totally superficial way because Seed already took like the most the, the best aspects of Zeta Gundam or the aspects of Zeta Gundam that really work. And in my opinion, it executed a lot of those ideas better than Zeta itself did, which is, you know, it's not, a, it's not a fair comparison because Zeta is sort of the template for so many Gundam and mech shows. And it really shouldn't and, be. Like, yeah. I feel like the issue with Zeta Gundam is that that trick worked one time and it really yeah. shouldn't have become the template for how it's done. I think, yeah. um, you know, part of why when people go back and watch Zeta Gundam and aren't as impressed by it is that they've seen that trick iterated upon multiple times over already. 
and so obviously some of the you know uh you know comprehensibility uh issues of Tamino's writing you know shine through even more so when you go back to it but in the case of like a seed destiny where it's like okay the fundamental trick we need to play is basically have a three-way war right that's sort of the thing with Zeta Gundam was that you had like three factions yeah. competing with one another they wanted to have their cake and eat it too with seed destiny and i'm not going to go on too much about this because i'll go on for an hour about how mad i am at see destiny but like you could tell from that original first few episodes of it they had a plan where they were going to basically sort of recast Athern zala as like the grizzled veteran you know solid snake circa metal gear solid 2 uh sort of thing and then have shinoska their new hero their kamiel bidan uh sort of equivalent you know the angry kid who wants revenge um he would be the main character the trouble is is that the reason Zeta Gundam was able to work uh, to have people sort of accept Kabeel and things like that is that they made the decision to say the original cast is stepping aside. They are fading into the background. You maybe aren't even going to see them for, you know, half the show or, you know, a significant portion of the show because we need you to get introduced and used to these characters. See, Destiny was like... All your favorites who you had, you know, 50 episodes to become emotionally invested in, they're all still here. And they're all still fairly prominent. But here's a whole new set of people who are fairly close to all those characters as well. And we expect you to like them too. And what happened? It didn't, it didn't work out that way. And so we just sort of figured, okay, well, all they have to do is say, this character is actually the bad guy. And they never did that. We were, we were expected as an audience to, to like Shin Asuka. And uh, you can't when the people he's fighting against are the people who he just spent 50 episodes rooting for. Also, Destiny, ironically, I, I think in the end there are only two factions. So it actually completely strays away from the uh, the template that Zeta Gundam had set that most other Gundam series had followed uh, up until then. You know what, Jarvis, I know that when it comes to Gundam Seed Destiny and the way the other characters uh, are depicted. I know you have your own views on that. Uh, did you want to get into that? Oh, well, I'm concerned that Daryl will jump through the mic and strangle me, but Destiny, not as good as Seed, but I don't hate it. And I think that just comes down to the fact that, uh, for me, Shin isn't a main character. He's just something for Kira to show up and steamroll and for me to cheer when it happens. And if the only, only that happened. Well, it happens at the uh, at the end Shin when Kira leaves. Kira in yeah, that yeah. Show and for he had, no valid reason. He had to cheat to do it. I mean, I'm talking about the end where uh, Kira basically leaves him like a broken shell of a human being. Except he gets the girl. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Lunamaria is a should pretty not good have win. gotten the girl. Should have uh, been left alone on the moon to weep. <laughs> um. But no, I don't, I don't hate your, I'm not gonna strangle you for that because I think part of what made that such a frustrating sequel is that there was no point, like you kept watching it and then they kept dangling out little things that they said, you know what, if they actually followed through on this, you could actually retroactively redeem everything I've just seen and, and salvage this show. And they kept repeatedly doing that over and over throughout Destiny to fool you into thinking, you know, they could actually turn this around and they never did. That was what made it such a, a frustrating, uh, viewing experience it wasn't like god this thing is is so terrible it's unwatchable i can just stop watching it and be done with it no we were watching it week to week thinking what if they just follow up logically on this but no it's the kind of show where 
Uh, there can be a global catastrophe that wipes out a, you know, large percentage of the Earth's population that never gets mentioned ever again. That's the kind of show that is. Yeah, and yet somehow it still contains, like, some of my favorite episodes of the series. Like, where Kira... There, there are three. good moments mm. in, in Destiny. Uh, it's just, um, like, there are moments in and of themselves. They don't really tie into something greater. Like, they'd be really great moments if they were followed up upon. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with that. And I think part of why we like Gundam Seed is all those moments that we were just talking about a few minutes ago is like great memorable moments. Those are things that have weight, things that, you know, do have an effect on that which follows. I mean, one of my favorite um, things was right near the very end of the show. Like, they have like a moment and then like Locus just breaks down and says, my dad died. And then there's all these little things where they look around and it says everybody is crying because everyone is reflecting on some thing that has occurred to them at some point that they have time to stop and reflect upon and, and then credits. I mean, like, that is something that, like, would mean something that, hey, cause and effect, right? Something happened and it results in this happening that causes something else to happen. It's a very, like the bare minimum of what you'd expect of narratives to do, um, and yet Destiny doesn't do it when it could so very easily. Um, and that's we part talking, of what's so frustrating about it. Yeah, we were talking earlier about how strong the first seven or eight episodes of Gundam Seed Destiny are, um, but I think that a lot of its failures are set up in those episodes because you mentioned you know how we have these characters who are you know beloved characters of the fandom who are set up opposed to the new characters, essentially, which is the, the worst... Um, situation that show could have ended up in. And we see the beginnings of that there because the first eight episodes, despite being really good, they refuse to take focus away from Atherin as the main character. We get a little time with Shin, but it's not enough. And I do believe that Shin, um, I like, I think that he's just not framed right from the beginning. Um, I think that his, like, his perspective is valid. And there's a lot of things they could have explored with him to make him more likable or empathetic. But it's it's just not framed right. Um, you're it's kind of framed in a way that makes him off putting immediately puts him in opposition to to Atherin and you know the other characters that we that we love so dearly from the first series, and we just kind of see that that sentiment escalating as you know as the series continues from that point on. And yeah, it's my belief that I I, I think that. Putting the old cast aside, I think that was the intention at first. I don't think it that... was the intention at first, for sure, yeah. because the way you first see these people, it's like, okay, uh, Ramius is no longer like yeah. a pilot. She's settled down. You know, Kira is like renounced being on this. He's just here. And they end up getting dragged into it. And that's because yeah. I think the powers that be are looking at their character popularity charts and it's like, oh, the fans, yeah. the fans want to see these people come back, bring them back, bring them back because you see that they're there. And yeah, I don't think that the intention was for Kira to even return in battle with with the Freedom Gundam at all. Yeah, I, I think but, it wasn't the plan at all. I think yeah. they just, you know, they had a plan, as was evidenced from the opening credits that are all, like, pl- planned out. And if they just followed that plan, because the way that Gundam Seed's opening credits were, and this followed through to see Destiny, is you could infer from the opening credits, oh, this is what's about to happen. Oh, this girl's, they're going to leave this person, they're going to go to here, or these people are going to, you know, become at odds with each other. Like, you could see those things in the shots of the opening credits. And Destiny did the same thing, and had they just followed through on those points, I think the show would have been fine. 
Could you even imagine if they'd turned, if they'd pulled a double Zeta and made uh, Kira into a vegetable at the end? Uh, well, that was a Zeta. Uh, but yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, yeah, had they done that, um, you know, and, and of course, even now, like, they've kind of walked that back because of the re-edits of Zeta. Um, but. Well, Double Zeta kind of real. Double Zeta kind of, yeah, they sort of had him sort of walk around. Not really, though. We never see him again, so it doesn't matter, so. Right, it's, it's not like they're continually cutting back to show, hey, meanwhile, here's Camille, you know, yeah. uh, in Double, throughout Double Zeta Gundam. Um, that, that's a show that's uneven in its own uniquely messy way. But, um, you know, as far as when Gundam Seed comes around and is this unabashed hit, the the best move really would have been to either have like um you know these people be just far removed from the conflict uh and maybe just have like a cameo here and there uh or like not have them in the show um you know that's that's really the only way that you can let people have a shot to like endear themselves to the new characters cuz you know there are some characters in Seed Destiny who I like I kind of like them um, I just wish that maybe they, I think they got maybe a raw deal or, you know, they just didn't get enough time. All, all of the extended, yeah. like the, like the, uh, the, the drugged up natural characters who are on the Earth Alliance side, they all could have been fantastic characters just like the, like the, the Zaft characters all were. Right. In the original series. Well, they I think they were intentionally designed to be like, oh my god, I cannot wait to see this kid or whatever get killed yeah. uh, because of his stupid <laughs> shirt. Um, even though, you know, they, they totally uh, swiped equilibrium cinematography in that first episode. where They uh, totally did, as all, uh, as as all, all good, good things should. should. Yeah, they, really, I have no objection. With Destiny, I know they did a compilation film version as well. They cut it down into four movies. I haven't seen them. My understanding is that uh, that is the best version because they kind of take everything. They apparently put... They, they definitively decide, okay, Athrin is the main character. We will confine everything to his perspective, and that will make everything balanced. I don't think it actually works. But I also – part of me thinks that, you know, if you're going to do a an honest compilation movie of Gundam Seed Destiny, then trying to improve it in that way is like – it's kind of dishonest. It's, it, is a, it is a dishonest representation of what Gundam Seed Destiny ultimately is. Well, Gundam Seed uh, Destiny can't exist without the Gundam Seed compilation films as well. <laughs> And so, um, you know, we, we were talking about, like, you know, the, the death of, of Mula Flaga. Well, you know, again, the compilation films where they edit it so that you just don't see, like, the, the shot. Whereas, you know, for other characters, like, you know, where Atoll dies, it's like, okay, we're going to extend that out so you see, like, a severed head. You know, extra gory death. Here's the thing. You can't have a compilation film work if your story isn't written in such a way that is conducive to having large amounts of it able to be excised without a negative impact on your story. In the case of Gundam, the original, it was episodic. A lot of it was like bad guy of the week. You can't say the same for Gundam Seed. It's very difficult to cut significant portions out of this 50-episode show without any impact on, like, what's happening. And they don't even try. Those, those Right, they don't try for coherency. They just cut it to say, like, this happens, yeah. then this, then this, then this. And... You've taken out in the process the reason that you care that this happens and this, then this, then this, because it's just like raw plot development at that it's, point. It's like watching a clip show, really. And they, and they throw in some, you know, some new footage, but all of it is, I, or most of it, I think, is a disservice to the original. Right. 
I don't, I wouldn't recommend watching, uh, the Gundam Seed compilation films to say, like, oh, well, I only need to watch just this much, 750 episodes, because this story, the way it's fundamentally structured, it's like there's, I can't think of too much that you can say, yeah, just cut this whole thing out and, and leave it at just this and then you're gold. The show's just not written that way or not structured that way. It's serialized from start to finish, such that something invariably is lost if you do a compilation film. And so in Seed Destiny, it's like it was just mulligan after mulligan. Like even the original Gundam Seed, like the final episode got redone to be like a Gundam Seed final or something like that. And that's why when Seed Destiny comes out, it's like Seed Destiny final plus, you know, whatever, um, you know, to to say like, okay, well, here's our second try. And then they do the compilation film version of it where it's their third try to to salvage Seed Destiny. And you're right, like that the full scale re-edit of like, okay, if we say that now Atherin Zala is the main character, you've got to just chop out huge portions of this story and... You know, I don't know if Sea Destiny is even possible to be salvaged. I don't know if, um, you know, obviously I think as I was watching the show, I was thinking if you just did this, this, and this, you'd save it. But you'd have to actually, like, redo the show. Yeah. They, um, and, and Daryl, they had another opportunity with the HD remaster of Gundam Sea Destiny to make alterations. Because right. they made other major alterations. And they did. instead they did basically nothing to fix, to fix Destiny. So I think let, they added let's some... talk about these HD remasters because these are like the current like way that you're yeah. able to see the show. So, I... so we said that the show original Gundam Seed came out in uh, the early 2000s, 2002. This is uh, early this is digital the... era. So... Early digital era animation with like the really blatant like still shot and then just pan the camera at that fixed rate. Looks really cheap. Um, there's a lot of that in Gundam Seed. And so, but it's a digital production. And because it's a digital production, that means that you've at least got something that you could potentially go back and, and mess with at slightly less cost than if you were to have a cell production. Mm-hmm. Because the original assets are all still there. Um, so because it was the early 2000s, Gundam Seed was actually in a 4x3 aspect ratio broadcast. And so they said, well, if we need to do HD remaster, we can take this and, and make it 16x9 and, um, you know, up-res it to be, you know, 720p or whatever it is that they consider HD remastering um, by their standards. And, um, you know, we have the audio, we can, um, you know... Do like I don't think it was in 5.1 for the HD remaster. Like Japan just doesn't do that. But um, nobody has room for surround sound speakers. Yeah, they don't have so space just, for a 5.1 just, setup, so everything is still in stereo. 2.0 PCM. That's what the, yeah. that's the standard. But uh, you know, so the HD remaster of Gundam Seed, as well as Gundam Seed Destiny, was done in recent years, and they changed things up again. They said, well, let's take this opportunity to. Um, you know, make some alterations to some lines, make some alterations to some scenes, edit this a little bit differently so that you don't have to worry about little continuity errors that we introduced by virtue of Sea Destiny existing, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but again, like I said at the beginning, um, some of the songs had to be removed just because of rights or, or whatever, or they just decided, you know, we want to, to remix this. I, I don't um, think it... I don't think there were any rights issues with the music. I think they were all conscious decisions to go back and remix or remove 
songs based on the preference of Fukuda or other other creatives on the show. Um, I, I could be wrong. I, they may have lost the rights to, to some of those, but I, I gotta say that if you have like the original Bandai Entertainment single releases of Gundam Seed, uh, do not get rid of those because you have the best version of the show. Honestly, I think it's four by three. I watched it upscaled recently. I think it's okay. It's not obviously it, it suffers a lot of the same problems of early early digital animation, um, but it it looks perfectly serviceable uh, when when you're doing the upscaled version. Now from from what I've seen of the HD version, it does look good. Like I think they had the materials that they had to work with were adequate for properly upresing it. Because my understanding is that they didn't even need to to crop it. I think they were actually able to extend the picture or reframe the picture in some cases to make it work. I could be wrong about that. No, I think you're right. I yeah. mean, there are portions of the opening credits where, um, you know, they actually would pillar box it with like something that just has like the name of the Gundam or what have yeah, you, yeah. just because those shots, like they didn't have additional like data to put, but a lot of the things, especially things where they would have to pan or whatever, it's like, okay, well that animation is there. We can just change the frame and be like, okay, it's a proper 16 by 9. But I mean, with the, with those music changes, because um, in every ep- like in every episode where the first ending theme, uh, although we were always together, they remove that song completely and replace it with a remix of yeah, that song. Yeah, not the original mix. No. Um, and like, I, I don't know why they did this. I know, obviously, they want to sell a remix of a song that was... Well, yeah, they want to sell then, more CDs. But, is what they want to do. But... Like, it's an absolutely inferior version of the song. Like, it doesn't seem worth replacing permanently the original version that was a hit in the, in the, in the content itself and, and just taking it out completely. That, I, I don't understand why they would do that. It's, it's such a bizarre decision. And of course, as we mentioned before, they, they totally ruin the episode with Mirialia and Diarka by taking out Akatsuki no Kuruma. Uh, it, it kills that scene completely. They, they do some alterations. I know that they change Nichols' death. So that it looks like it was just an accident. He 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 fell on Kira's uh, sword. Yeah, he just he, yeah it was which diminishes like the rage uh, of Atherin to retaliate in kind. Um, so I mean, yeah, a lot of the changes I feel are just uh, they're they're for they're overall net negative. They're not like one hundred percent negative or a hundred percent like great. There are some good things about the HD remastered version. I just don't think that um, what you lose um, makes up for it. They do also cut back on the flashbacks, and you, they remove basically two episodes worth of, of recaps as well. So. Yeah, like there are a couple episodes where it's like, okay, we ran out of money, here's a compilation episode where we can do it on the cheap. Yeah. That happens all the time in anime. Uh, even in 13-episode shows, you see like them do the recap episode because they just couldn't hit the schedule. But um, you know, obviously for the HD remaster, it's like, yeah, there's no need to have this uh, recap episode here and this recap, like, you know, so they're like, just just cut them. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important we talk about the, the quality of the show, the original show itself. Um, I, I mentioned that I thought it looked okay when you're just upscaling it from the DVDs, but um, obviously it was... A, it was a, and your player will do that automatically yeah, now, right? Yeah. But obviously the peculiarities with uh, with the way that uh, this particular show was produced as well. It was the first uh, Gundam TV show that was done in digital animation versus cell animation. Um, and, you know, it, 
back then it seemed like a big a big step to make that change. Now looking back, it's uh, it's, it's it's sort of a, a permanent dip in quality that we see for most shows produced in that era. Yeah, it's just there's a, a good solid period from like the late '90s to about the mid 2000s where no one fully had the hang of the digital animation techniques. Like you know everything had a sort of cheapish kind of look or like things would look good until they had to do certain things with the camera. And um, they eventually did work it out. Obviously, modern anime productions are not subject to, you know, that stuff. But, yeah, it's a thing you just have to deal with um, with the show. So a thing that will forever date, you know, anything from the 2000s. And and, uh, Jarvis, you had some thoughts on that too? Oh, um, nothing that Daryl hasn't already covered. Just that those pan shots are they really jump out at you nowadays. They are pretty bad, and uh, some pretty some pretty bad CGI integration. Um, it's it's not the worst because I think most of the CGI shots are you know they're not actually trying to integrate it into um, a lot of the surrounding 2D animation a lot of the time. So it's it's not as distracting as it could be, but it still looks pretty bad. Um, That's think, a problem that anime has to this day, to yeah. be honest, is the integration of 3D CG with 2D um, digital animation or what have you. I think um, the best usage for that sort of stuff is when it's supposed to be a, a, a computer graphic readout or something that they're looking at. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, once you start getting into like it's only been in recent years, I would say the last decade or so that people have really started to nail uh, how to have a CG mecha yeah. look decent. And, and oddly enough, you know, Sunrise is, you know, one of the people who kind of uh, led the way on that. I, I think when the the transition to digital with Gundam Seed, one of the most significant things was the way that they were able to reuse animation and apply them to different 2D models. That's um, correct. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's one of the... Major sticking points with with Gundam Seed. I mean, it's it's innovative in the sense that it helped reduce their budget. But man, that it's not that Seed has more reused animation than previous Gundam shows because they're all absolutely horrifically notorious for their use of reused animation. But it's just really obvious in Gundam Seed, and you know they they would especially in Destiny they would create when they introduced new mechs they would intentionally make them reminiscent of mechs in the previous. Gundam Seed, so that they can reuse all those animations again, because they're just algorithms that they could apply to, to 2D models, which, I mean, I guess it's better than having the, the robots become 3D temporarily for certain shots, but, uh, man, yeah, it was, a, it was a, a rough approach they had at that point for that. Any other thoughts on the, the visuals or quality in the show? I mean, it is a very colorful, sharp-looking um, thing. It's not like it's a a particularly drab show. I always got a, I, I could always laugh. Like I had a, I have a friend. He's like confused, like who the factions are in Gundam Seed. And I'm like, well, you see, there's one side that's wearing all red and there's another side that's wearing all blue and white. Figure it out. The color design in Gundam Seed, obviously, uh, maybe it is a side effect of the early days of digital animation, but it does make it like very easy to figure out, like to me anyway, who is fighting who. Who is on which side? Because, you know, the Zaft, uh, you know, Zodiac Alliance people, they're all in the, in the red suits, um, and then especially their ace pilots, uh, you know, have like their fancy red uniforms, whereas, you know, your alliance folks are in, in blue and the like, and then eventually later you have orb characters who are, you know, wearing clown suits. Yeah, clown suits based, uh, a good way of putting it. 
there are other Gundam shows, like I mean, Gundam Double O, for example. Gundam Wing. <laughs> it's Gundam like... Wing, Gundam Double O, uh, the ultimate king of this, uh, you know, uh, Rekengista and G, uh, you know, <laughs> just discerning. It's like, it's all right. Fa- it's not fair to compare anything to Rekengista. No, yeah, it's, to be fair, that's, it's, uh, that's low hanging fruit. But I mean, it's the same, it's just the point of, if you were to just look at a shot, Divorced from its original context, can you find out who is this person fighting for and who is that person fighting for? Like, you know, do these characters, do the units have flags or insignias and stuff like that? Gundam Seed is, is coherent in that sense. It's like, to me, you don't really have this issue of like, wow, I have no idea who is like, battling who here. And I think just a part of that is just because uh, of, of the design. And yeah, we talk about Hisashi Hirai's same face syndrome, but at the very least, the resulting, like, clothes and hair and stuff like that is distinct enough from character to character that you can tell, alright, this person is allied with this person based on the way they're dressed. Which, uh, you take for granted until you see shows where you can't tell that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and with the with the remastered version, one other thing that was announced recently, and we have mentioned on this show before, I think, I don't know if we brought it up in the, this episode yet, um, it is being redubbed. The Ocean yeah. dub is being thrown in the garbage. It will never be heard again because the a, a thing about one thing about this remastered version is that it makes enough small edits and small extensions, and it just splices in this extra footage here and there enough to the point you can't where, just use the old audio yeah, you can't use the old audio it's it's kind of an escaflone situation where we never we just had never gotten the home video version of the first few episodes um until recently so the only way they can co- they could basically redo it properly would be to, to redub the whole series um and we're in a similar situation with gundam seed uh, with Escaflone, I think it was understandable that they do the new dub in-house because, you know, it's, it's Funimation. They have their own in-house studio to use. With Sunrise and the new, the new Gundam Seed remastered, I, it really bugs me. Like, there's no reason they couldn't have sent this dub to Vancouver. It's, I think um, just the rationale is that, um, you know, for, for many, many years, I was always of the opinion that, uh, Ocean Group dubs were, like, slightly subpar. Obviously, they they do have some that are quite good, but I always noticed that that same pool of actors, whenever they would show up in video games or like non-anime dub like productions, were way better than they were like previously. Like you know, a lot of those Ocean Group guys, like for there was a period throughout the 2000s where like every Warhammer 40k video game, it was like Ocean Studios alumni mm-hmm. and. The acting and performances they were getting out of, you know, your various Dobson brothers uh, was just like, you know, head and shoulders above what you'd see in Ocean. And then certainly when G Gundam came about, they opened like an offshoot of Ocean, what, Blue Wave, or I, I don't remember the, the, the Blue, exact, Blue Water dub was Blue it, it's Water. Not, it's not oh, that the okay. studio opened around that time, but they were starting to to dump more projects. It was kind of like okay. the uh, the B studio, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, um, you know, I, as a, a fan growing up in the early 2000s, you know, we were always making fun of the Gundam Wing dub for how blatantly Canadian, uh, <laughs> you know, some of it would sound. Like, especially, like, Brad Swale, and he'd always say, like, uh, you know, and he's Katra or whatever, be like, it's been so long. It's like, nobody says been. It's been. 
damn it, big. That may, um, that may have more to do with the word fit system than it does with Canadian accents. Well, well, that's but, the, or it could that's be the other thing about well, no, that's the other thing about Ocean Group is that they used word fit system. Yeah. Um, and that also introduces like some sync and you know some weird uh, cadence um, concerns for your dubs, such that you know it's entirely possible. That um, the powers that be, as far as like you know, Gundam, let's redub it and let's use NYAV Post, was that they just were more satisfied with their output because NYAV Post has been the studio that's been like uh, doing the day and date simultaneous stuff. Like when Gundam Unicorn gets dubbed, they are like the ones doing that. Um, you know, I guess they just figure, okay, these guys have got it down, they've got their process, and we're satisfied with that process. Whereas, um, you know, Ocean hasn't done anime dubbing in quite some time. I can't think of... Um, They've been doing a few... They did the Gintama dub. Gintama? Um, okay, yeah. that's just for just just for straight-to-video, uh, I think, here in the United States. Gintama doesn't air on television. It doesn't air on television, no. Now, and again, like, the other thing, like, when I heard... I would spot-check the Gundam Seed dub, and I always thought, like, it was very flat. Like, that was my... Um, recollection of it not that it was horrible not that it was like phenomenal or anything but just that it was it was very flat like um and i don't know if that was just my bias or or not but i just remember like it's uh it being very workmanlike i found what were people's thoughts of that dub in canada because obviously that's the default way everyone saw it on tv i think it's perfectly serviceable i've got a soft spot in my heart for all those old ocean dubs with um with Seed, I did find it it starts out pretty rough. Um, the thing I'm most critical of is the decision, how they handle Lacus's singing. Uh, Chantel Strand plays Lacus, uh, but they had, for some reason... And then reason, they have they, a separate actor have, for the singing. Yeah, Jillian Michaels did the singing, um, which was a very strange decision, because they sound nothing alike, and it's very jarring. They, they do a bit, they pull it off a little better with the later songs, and in Destiny, I think it's... It, it comes off fine, but it, it definitely is jarring at first. I think it took the actors quite a while to get into their characters. I think that by the second half of the series, it's it's a fairly strong dub. Um, and no, it's it not lo- the Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser. Can it we just not the like- Ju- no? I, I was going to point that out. It's not the Jillian Michaels from The Biggest Loser. It is the Vancouver-based actress Jillian Michaels, who is in a, a variety of other productions. But with uh, with Seed, um, the dub is popular in in Canada. It uh like at, at conventions and stuff, uh the, the profile of the various actors who were in those shows rose dramatically after Gundam Seed um showed up. Of course I'm in Vancouver, so uh our convention that we had here at the time, Anime Evolution, I know Trevor Duvall who plays Mula Flaga, he came to a convention just the the year before Gundam Seed started on T V and then he came also the year after. And the reception he received after Gundam Seed had finished airing, it was like night and day. Like literally, no one knew. Like who now he everyone was knows before. who he is. And like this is that that role solidified him at least in Canadian conventions, because uh, because he was just so popular for his performance, and he, he did give one of the better performances in that dub as well, in my opinion. And 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 in that regard, I like I can't help but think that if the Gundam Seed dub had been a success on American TV and it had taken off the way that Bandai wanted it to or people expected it to, like I think that. I honestly think that Bandai, Sunrise, they'd be a little more reluctant to just dump that old cast out. They're, they're, or they'd be getting more pushback. You don't, you don't yeah, because again, it's not, there's, fans, a, there's not so. a huge wave of fans protesting the decision yeah. to redub and recast everyone the way that there typically is, like when they say, oh, guess what, we're recasting everybody from Pokemon or, yeah. you know, what exactly. have you. Yeah. And there's a ton of people. In, in this case, 
there just wasn't enough people in the United States who saw that English dub to have like a a default like imprinting of like this is how everyone should sound. Like yeah. to me, when I spot check it, I always think like Lacus Klein sounds really phony, or that uh, Murray Ramia sounds like um, not like like very monotone compared to Kotono Mitsuishi in the Japanese. Um, but that's because I saw it in the Japanese, and so I've got an idea of that being the default imprinted on me as, like, that's the default, and then when I go to listen to this other thing, some things sound slightly off. Whereas for Gundam Wing in America, you'll find people are very willing to accept that original cast because yes. they all saw it dubbed first, and so in their mind, like, when they hear, you know, Trace Kushranada or, you know, when they hear you know, hero or what have you, they hear the dub voice in their head first and foremost. If someone were said that that commemorative Gundam wing, like ultra edition was to have a different dub on it, people would have been mad. Exactly. And I mean, Gundam wing definitely has a worse dub than, than Gundam seed. And and, in in both of those cases, they're, they're Vancouver cast, of course, but I don't know. It it just, maybe I'm just thinking about it too much, but it, it just really comes off with that feeling that, you know, the Canadian audience is smaller but you just get that feeling that there's just kind of no consideration or respect for that in the end, even though it's you know it's still part of the still still part of the North American market. Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's it's Japan making the call. It's yeah. not like um, you know anyone here is like saying, "Ah, screw that dub. We aren't gonna you know have these guys bring them back in or whatever." But then also remember the original 0079 dub, like strenuously supervised and uh, and approved by Yoshiki Tomino himself. You're talking about the uh, home video anime village dub, not the one on Cartoon oh, Network, right? Oh, the, uh, the I, th- I was under the impression that the Ocean dub was um, supervised by Yoshiki Tomino. Was that not the case? No, I believe um, the compilation films initially had a dub that is no longer really included on anything, yeah. and that like had like Steve Bloom as Shaw yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so but, that was the one overseen by Yoshiki Tomino. I think so. Where is from? Yeah, yeah, that's the one with the weird stories. But the other one with the first Gundam TV series, if anything, I think maybe they might have just had like final approval on like um, the casting. But I don't think they. I, I could be wrong oh, about okay. this. All right, um, I, I was gonna say it, it's weird because in the in the Gundam Origins, the recent OVAs. They, of course, recast all the characters from the original 0079 Gundam series with L.A. voice actors. And I found that strange, because if, if the Vancouver dub was the one that had that heavy involvement with Yoshiki Tomino, they're kind of just going back on on that thing that's very strenuously got his his approval. But uh, obviously, if, if, that, if those stories are all about the old movie trilogy dub, that's, that's mood. Right, uh, yeah. Also very so... weird, because they don't want to release that trilogy dub again for some reason. Well, I mean, it's got, like, everyone always makes fun of the fact that, like, there's some weird localization choices. Like, at some point, someone says, oh, no, Robotron Invaders or something, like, uh, weird like that. And that, uh, that's a, that's a, like, a dub that time forgot, so to speak. Like, uh, we, we speak not of it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, NYAV Post is basically being used moving forward, especially for the Universal Century stuff, because if you need a guy to be Shaw, you can have him be Shaw throughout multiple productions, because, you know, in Gundam Seed Destiny even, it was supposed to be a big deal. Like, okay, we're going to have Ikeda Shuichi voice this character, uh, Gilbert Durandal. And everyone, the second you hear his voice, everyone realizes, okay, this guy's up to no good whatsoever. We know because he's the Shaw voice. Yeah. And Shaw's never up to any good. And sure enough, you know, it took a little while, but yeah, it t- turned out to, to be correct. 
Um, whereas, you know, Gundam Seed, um, in the Japanese, I actually really, really hate, like, in the early 2000s, I think my least favorite voice actor, period, was Takehito Koyasu, uh, who is the voice of, um, not just, uh, Zex Marquis in Gundam Wing, but also Mula Flaga mm-hmm. in Gundam Seed, in the Japanese side of things. And in, in this time, he was just in everything, and he just did not have, like, any vocal range, or he chose not to use it, I should say, because there was, like, one or two things in, like, Saber Marriage Day or something, it's like, oh, okay, he's got range. Um, but he was, like, being the voice of Ken in New Fist of the North Star, and I was like, get this pumpkin teeth jackass out of my anime. Um, obviously, nowadays, he's not cast in everything, and so when he shows up, he can be very memorable, because right now, to modern fans, he's Dio from JoJo's Bizarre exactly, Adventure. yeah, yeah. And he's awesome as Dio, I'll give him that. Um, but as far as, like, Gundam Seed, like, as a vocal performance sort of thing, like, to me, like, um, because I was in that fan sub generation as a, being exposed to it, and then later on again with Destiny, like, I just don't have the memory of that dub, like, uh, the way that the Canadian fans would. Exactly. It's, it's more of a, it's definitely not a matter of quality as much as it is a matter of when and where you saw it. And, I mean, that's the, when you're looking at cultural impact, again, this is a retrospective on a show that had a specific cultural impact in Canada, and it most of the time that, that stuff doesn't come down to quality. It just com- comes down to when and where more people were able to experience it, and those things can be totally inexplicable sometimes. Yeah, no, well, no, it's yeah. like that all the time, right? Yeah. Like with uh, with Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man, um, you know, it got famous being on television in very heavily edited format under the name Battle of the Planets, but it had a really star-studded voice cast, like Casey Kasem and stuff like that. Mm. And so when the decision was made that, okay, we are going to um, release the uncut version of Gotcha Man and a sem- similar thing was with the HD remaster, well, we can't use the old dub because it was edited, so we're going to redub it. Well, that was a huge expense because it was a long show and fans didn't want that. The fans who want to hear that show in English want to hear the version that they heard as a kid, and that's Casey Kasem. Um, even though, you know, it's got Sevens Arc 7 and all that kind of stuff. In the case of, you know, the HD remasters of Gundam, Seed and Seed Destiny, I'm kind of in the same opinion where it's like, okay, yeah, great, you're redubbing the whole show with NYAV Post and they're very technically proficient and all these people are accomplished actors. But the audience of people who want to hear this show in English want to hear that ocean dub. There's still a lot of, like, mid-2000s anime industry mentality guiding the idea of having a, like a nice clean new dub because that i mean there i think a lot of the the thinking and marketing when you're you know back when you're releasing shows four episodes to a disc like you got to take into consideration a lot of people are going to listen to the dub primarily on this release so that has to be kind of up front and center but i think that the the idea of people when you're going back to older dubs i think the men i think it's different, and I think we still haven't kind of gotten over that mentality a lot of the time. And that's what's driving things like we have to make sure that Escaflone has a nice, clean new dub. We have to make sure Gundam Seed has a nice, clean new dub. Obviously, there there are technical considerations as well. But I mean, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it, it's not always approached in the best way. I brought up before when we, we of course we talk about shows that are hits in Quebec um, here as well, like uh, French anime, like we did Albator before. And what what always strikes me as amazing is how with those old French dubs, they're edited when they first aired in like the 70s and 80s and early 90s, but they're still intact enough that they can use those materials to make uncut uh, DVD releases like 20 years later. I don't know how they how they do it, 
or if they, they I, I guess they just preserve better. the production materials better because yeah. obviously Japan did not do that for great many things, you know, yeah. even to this day. Well, we'll uh, we'll get more into that in the Goldorak episode. So I guess to finish off, I guess an important question to ask: We've seen as something that gets reinvented over and over again every few years, and we've seen many versions come and go, many interpretations. Um, when you're looking back, is Gundam Seed still something that matters? Like, if somebody is new to Gundam, is Seed something that they should care about at all and look back on, or is it something that's kind of just only for the people who were there at the time? What do you, what do you guys think on that? Uh, Jarvis, do you want to go first, or should yeah. I? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I tried to get my sister to watch Seed maybe about five years ago. I showed her, like, the first two episodes, and I remember her saying... This Kira guy is hot, and she finished those two episodes and never watched any more. <laughs> I don't know if I would like suggest it to people as their first Gundam. Nowadays, I would probably tell them to watch. Oh, jeez! For your very first Gundam, I would say just watch Gundam: The Origin. Yeah, you know that's basically you know like as good a foundational start. It's interesting. It's compelling. It gives people you know, basis of the source Universal Century stuff, and then, you know, if they like that, they may be conducive to watching those clunky compilation films that, you know, they tried to force on people in post-Gundam Wing, and they didn't take to it. But Gundam The Origin, it's like, okay, here, you can be introduced to Shaw and Amaro and Salem Mass and all the, you know, core people. But as far as, like... um you know, the the idea of do you need these alternate universe shows to get people into Gundam? Like, obviously, the current or, or the most contemporary one is Iron-Blooded Orphans, um, which recently concluded. And that's another one where I think, you know, that first half of it is pretty solid. Um, a lot of, you know, shirtless hot guys in it, I guess, is sort of the, the hook of that one, right? The second half is a little more haphazard. Maybe it ends, maybe it eventually it comes together. Um, obviously, for the little kids, they're trying to say, like, oh, go watch these Gundam Build Fighters shows, uh, the first one of which is brilliant, and I recommend uh, that uh, highly. Uh, the uh, second ones, I think they didn't really recapture the magic. But, like, um, well, I love Gundam Build Fighters. I love both seasons, but... There's more I than two the, seasons. Oh, yeah, there's that OAV uh, thing before. Yeah, but there's also a new show. Oh, there's a new one. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. I'm not watching that until it's uh, fully out yet. But I think the reason why I like those uh, seasons so much is just because I've watched everything Gundam up till then. So I get catch like, the references. Yeah, exactly. If I gave, if I just threw somebody in there, they wouldn't be even It'd getting be a little nonsensical. Yeah, they'd go cool robot, and you know they wouldn't get. No, you don't get why that robot is cool. Right. Because it's a very, like, fan meta jokes in a lot of those, uh, you know, yeah. Build Fighter stuff. And I, but, I, I mean, you know, I... right now, we've got, like, a whole series of new contemporary productions that are meant to be reasonably accessible to people. Like, Gundam Thunderbolt, uh, you know, is a really accessible Gundam thing that yeah, doesn't but... require people have any knowledge of any, of what's come before. Uh, looks great. It's not super long, because that's another thing about Gundam Seed. You're talking 50 episodes of a show. Uh, even Gundam Wing and stuff like that. It's very difficult to say uh, you know, hey, in 2018 you're new to Gundam? Here's Gundam Wing. Uh, you know, well that's a hard sell for people because of the length of it 
and honestly because of the age, you know, to some extent too. Um, Seed's aged in a very different way, just because again, it's just this relic of that digital animation era. But I mean, I'm unsure whether it's needed. Like, you know, would the people who wanted Gundam Seed, like, would they not just watch Gundam Double O, which by the way is coming back because it's the 10 year anniversary, um, so they're about to release new Gundam Double O stuff. And that's another one where I was like, bad second season, bad movie. Do we need more Gundam Double O? I'll admit uh, that's a bad movie, but uh, I, I can't bring myself to hate that second season because it's got some of the best openings. It does have? Well, I mean, yeah, it's always... That's the thing about Gundam. They Even the bad ones have, like, some solid music selections in them. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure even Gundam Age probably has solid music. I did not dare watch Gundam Age. Nobody but, likes uh, Gundam Victory, but I can still, uh, you know. Yeah, but Gun- everyone opening. remembers the theme song to Gundam Victory, though. Stand, stand up to that victory. victory. You know, um, and so as far as, like, accessibility in 2018 as we're recording this, I feel there are better options. I feel that there are shorter things. I feel that there are more spectacular things that people are match like the production values of what people expect like slick animation to look like now um you know now oh now that those remasters for uh uh g gundam are out if there was somebody i knew who that particular brand of silliness would appeal to them i would probably tell them to go watch g gundam i think that one does hold up very well i mean especially with the the blu-ray release plus it's not really like Stuff that they're seeing now. Um, it, it's not going to have any in-jokes that they're not going to get, really. Right. It's it's meant to be, like, its its own thing. Um, again, there's a length issue with that. But, I mean, um, you know, plus it starts off, um, you know, like how all these Sunrise shows do. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to say, like, hey, this first 13 episodes are just set up. Because the default show length now is 13 episodes start to finish. Um, yeah, it's hard, hard to tell self. somebody yeah. to just like, oh, just wait till the Shuffle Alliance shows up and then you're hooked. You, you won't right. be able to stop. I think the way to do it is just like these short, like, uh, four episode things, these short, like, you know, seven episode things or whatever, just because, uh, to see if people like this stuff. And, uh, and then if they do, then show them some other things. Like for years, I used to say, the actual thing to check to make sure if someone, if you wanted to get someone in the Gundam, was the 8th MS team. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up, especially now that it's got that amazing looking remaster. Sure, it's got the Blu-ray, but also like this, the fact is, is people are daunted with the prospect of watching something that's super duper long that requires you have some sort of knowledge of like past stuff. In the case of Gundam Seed. It's an alternate universe. You don't need to have seen anything. That's the idea of having these alternate universe shows. Fresh start. But 100 episodes long. Mm. See, I've I mean, never you don't had have a... to watch Destiny. <laughs> you should I... not watch those second 50 no. episodes. But no. I- I'm a madman who watched all of Bleach in uh, under two months. So that sort of thing doesn't apply to when me. You're at work. It doesn't count if you can have it on in the background <laughs> as you're trying to avoid an iceberg or whatever it is that happens. Out in the frozen tundras of Canadian waters. But for regular humans, I would say um, Gundam Seed is something that would have appeal to you if you've already established yourself as a fan of Gundam to know what the core formula is. 
then you could see Gundam Seed and see it for what it was meant to be at the time among fans who were experienced to say, aha, a innovative twist on those tropes and ideas. I would strongly hesitate to show it to someone as like, here's your very yeah. first introduction to Gundam. 2018. I think that if you were a fan of Seed back in the day or you watched it back in the day, I would, I would encourage you to go back and at least watch the original Seed again. I would argue it still holds up if you were a fan back I, then. I, I agree. I think that people don't, uh, people underestimate how well that show holds up if you watched it back then. And yeah, I think people, their, their memories are clouded by Seed Destiny exactly. and like, you know, all that stuff. I think if you, and as we, if we you were before, back then, it gets lumped together, they two get lumped together. Uh, in, a, in a lot of, of the retrospective context a lot of the time. Such yeah, as this show where we talk about done, both of them. But. Right, like, like because it was a 10-year anniversary, like, we, we just got done on my, our own podcast uh, not too, too long ago, about a year ago now almost, uh, reviewing Gundam 00. And th- we had a similar conclusion. Like, I still believe that first half of Gundam 00 still holds up reasonably well. Um, you know, in the case of season two, like, there's a couple of neat things, but I think, like, the, the problems of just the, the modern post- uh, see Destiny, you know, writing and production pipeline are in full display there. And, and I think the same of Iron Blooded Orphans as well. But, um, but yeah, I do believe that this original first Gundam Seed series, it, it's, it's as good as you remember it. Yeah. And... Uh, well, let me rephrase that because people remember it as not being good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's good. Um, and I think a lot of the things that you dislike about your, your memories of Gundam Seed, I'm not going to say 100% of it isn't Seed Destiny because certainly the second half of Gundam Seed, uh, you know, has a lot of, uh, insanity in it and some yeah. things that aren't really followed up upon or not given enough time to develop. But I think overall, uh, Gundam Seed is very satisfying still. I, I mean, if you're looking at back at just individual AUs, I think the more unique ones like G and Turn A are going to be a, of, of interest to people who are, if you're going back and watching old Gundam shows, but part of me still wants to say, if you didn't watch Seed back then, I mean, those those standout, shocking, etched-in-your-brain moments that you see in the second half, like, part of me wants to say it's worth sitting through Seed just to just to experience those, because I think that those, th- those moments still hold up, but, again, f- sitting through 50 episodes just to get to those, eh, I, I can't, r- like, rationally recommend that to, to, to newer fans who have not... Who, 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 who haven't already watched it in the past, but I think I think there's 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 still some, something in there that that holds up. But yeah, it's probably better off sticking. You're probably better off sticking with if, if you're new to Gundam, uh, Origin OVAs, or whatever the the flavor of the week is at the time that you are looking into it. So whatever's currently running. One other thing that um, interestingly has not come up at all uh, in this podcast, and people don't really talk about very much, is the uh, the Gundam Seed ONA Stargazer. Uh, you guys oh have seen yeah, Star yeah, yeah. Uh, I just remembered that because I once upon a time built the Master Grade kit for what was it the the Gundam Noir, yeah, the machine from that uh, OAV or ONA. Yeah, it's a forty-five minute. Uh, well, it was, it was released as three fifteen-minute ONAs, then it was released as one forty-five-minute OVA. Um, I I think it's quite good. I actually did not watch it to recap for this. Um, Podcast. I have the rip of it on my computer. But well, yeah, I, I mean, again, that, that was a thing that wasn't ever included on any American nope. DVD. Never uh, licensed. Never licensed. It was only ever, like, the people who, like, ripped it because it was only, like, a web thing only for Japan. It was region locked or whatever yeah. it was. 
back then that made it very difficult to see at the time. Um, it was online did, streaming you had to pay for specifically to watch right. it. Yeah. And, and during an era where online streaming was not in the state that it is now where yes. it works reliably. Yeah. Um, so as fans, what we had more likely seen through the fans of generation were the, uh, astray shorts that were made to like a publicize like those, um, the manga or like those, yeah. um, those books or whatever. Uh, and again, like TM revolution did a song just for those like five minute, like astray things, uh, zips if, uh, memory serves mm-hmm. in the case of stargazer. It's like, Oh, well, this is cool. But basically it's a model kit commercial for the most part. It's like, Hey, buy the strike only now it's black or whatever. Um, yeah the color scheme variant of it was. Yeah, I think Stargazer is good. And I think it actually, I think it is, and it, you know, when people say they how much they love how, you know, how realistic and well thought out UC Gundam is, they're usually talking about the OVAs rather than the TV series. But I think that with Stargazer, I think it is in the same caliber as a lot of those UC OVAs. It very carefully addresses a lot of the shortfalls of Destiny. It takes place in the same period. And I, I know, Daryl, earlier you mentioned how, you know, it has... In early in Destiny, you have this massive catastrophe that kills a huge, significant portion of the human population. Um, that's never really followed up on. It is followed up on in Stargazer, so that's again, that's immediately one shortfall it addresses. All the characters are just regular naturals. They're not coordinators or new types or extendeds or any kind of beefed up character. They are the type of faction that's sort of underrepresented in in Seed Destiny. Um, and yeah, the the conflicts are really what in Sea Destiny you would think of as low stakes, but I mean, I, I think in the first portion you have like unarmed people who are basically fighting against a um, a Zaku uh, or a lone Zaku, and it just sort of recontextualizes how how deadly a machine like that can is still still is to just you know unarmed bystanders. And yeah, I think I think it's really well executed. It's it's unfortunate that it never got released at all in uh, under Bandai Entertainment. Uh, and even with, with right stuff now, um, they seem intent on releasing basically everything Gundam on home video, and they're, they're well on their way to doing that. But Stargazer is still one thing that hasn't come up, and I, I have to wonder if, uh, if we're gonna finally get that one as well, because I think, uh, it's, it's one people should see, and it's kind of forgotten now. Uh, any other thoughts on that? I haven't seen it, so, uh, I yeah. might just go home and, uh, watch that now. Yeah, I'm I mean, gonna... I've seen it, I just, you know, yeah, I didn't have any, like, negative or you know thoughts on it or anything like that i just remember being like oh yeah this is pretty cool it's just you know again like a a quick little thing that they basically did again was like a a quick little commercial sort of thing yeah um but yeah i mean nice i had some nice uh nice nice mechas in that in that too it's uh i think it it produced some good model kits as as jarvis suggested sorry and certainly (laughs) gunham seed is, is good for that yeah and i think Uh, that is sort of the way that like gunham seed lives on to this day because like i mentioned like you know, we're, we're only now getting like master grades of Blitz Gundam and Buster Gundam and stuff like that. Um, you know, the Strike Freedom um, is one of the few things popular enough to get perfect grade. I've got like, a know, perfect grade Strike Freedom sitting in my closet right yeah. now. Uh, it's not been built, but I'll get to it one day. Right. Well, you know, um, the the fact is is that these are good enduring mecha designs among the fans. Like people do still remember the seed designs. In a lot of ways. Again, I did joke earlier, like, you know, their defining feature backpacks. is big backpacks, big fins. Uh, you know, they can't stand out of their own power now. Like, you have to have, like, a plastic stand with a 
a clear stick to stick in the back of it so it'll, you know, not tip over. But these things are out in space anyway. You can be a little Liefeldian with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they they are out there in that regard among fans. But, like, if you're a hardcore enough fan that you're buying model kits, you are already, like, waist-deep in Gundam. So you don't need, like, the easing in if you're already buying model kits. All right, I think that probably about wraps us up. Thank you guys for, for coming on, and thanks for tuning in to Zonan Canada. You guys want to, where can people find you on social media? My website is www.animeworldorder.com, and I am on Twitter at D-A-R-Y-L-S, as in Sam, U-R-A-T. And uh, I'm sorry I did so much talking in this Canadian-focused anime fandom podcast, despite being uh, not a Canadian uh, not neither living nor residing. You can find me at Jarvis underscore Gray. That's G R A Y uh, on Twitter. And other than that, I've really got no presence anywhere at all. You're, d- you're doing a panel at Otakon. Oh yeah, I guess I am doing that. Come see me at Otakon uh, if you've got nothing better to do there. Uh, go see Daryl's stuff instead. It'll be better. <laughs> They're probably not going to be opposite each other, but again, Otakon programming out in washington dc is quite cutthroat everything is opposite like everything else and you have to make some tough decisions and uh yeah you can find me on twitter at jbetteridge uh or email zonncanada at gmail.com uh, our theme song is by ultra Clystron. you can find that on its album packet flood at uh, ultraclystron.com if you can subscribe to the show on itunes or google play music or any of those things that would be great uh, also and i hate i always hate admitting this but um right now i only have two reviews on itunes um, if I can get that up to five reviews, uh, that would give me an aggregated rating and greatly improve my visibility in iTunes. So if you like this show, please consider uh, leaving a rating uh, or a review. And or if uh, if you can, just uh, if you know anyone who might like the show, please recommend them. And I'll see you again. 